You're listening to Resolution Radio. ResolutionRDO.com You're listening to the Liberty News Radio Network, and this is the Political Cesspool. The Political Cesspool, known across the South and worldwide as the South's foremost populist conservative radio program. And here to guide you through the murky waters of the political cesspool is your host, James Edwards. Welcome one and all to another live broadcast of TPC. I'm your host, James Edwards. This It is a hot August night, as I believe uh, Brother Neil Diamond might have put it in Brother Love's Traveling Salvation Show. My God, has it been hot. And we have had some hot times in the Old South throughout the course of this blistering summer, Keith Alexander, whether it be behind a podium, uh, a book signing on the air, or wherever else we've been, we are certainly riding the crest of a wave right now as we return to the studio for the first time in three weeks. Right. I, I did not want to butter you up, but uh, you're absolutely right. You are riding a crest. You are basically, you know, the rock star of the movement at this present time and you know take it for all it's uh you know <laughs> take it for all you can with this you know it's it's working well and of course the show is you know getting a lot of good publicity through all of this all of your speaking engagements throughout all of the country uh you that they've allowed you to develop into a first-rate orator let me just tell you that and as a result of that you know uh your profile is being raised, which is raising the pro- profile of this show. So, you know, we're on a roll right now well, because you're on a roll, and let's uh, let's keep it up, man. I, and I want to congratulate you for that. That's You've been working on this speech, basically. It started with countercurrents and some other places. You get, And it, see, the more you do it, the more you polish it, the more you burnish it. Everything is getting, uh, you know, everything's coming up roses, like that old song from the uh, 1930s or something. From no, it was from the 50s. Mame, the uh, uh, Broadway show Mame, you know, anti Mame and whatnot. Everything's coming up roses. That's what's happening. Now, was that another Angela Lamb's uh, Barry vehicle? Ah, Ethel Merman, I think. Was uh, the one well, play. maybe she was in one of the productions. Uh, well, surely she must. Similar, similar surely she should have been. Angela Lansbury. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, she frequently gets uh, name dropped on this program. Angela Lansbury, reason. Betty Davis, Ethel no. Merman. They both, both all played a very similar character, uh, stock <laughs> character in all of their uh, productions. Well, Keith, listen, uh, I, I want to tell you um, that really means a lot what you said, especially coming from you, a guy who's been in the trenches with me for all of these years with this radio program and uh, without whom uh, – the success wouldn't have been the same. And it's, of course, not a success that we take vaingloriously. Everything we do, we want to be serving a cause greater than ourselves, this movement. But uh, but th- th- there has been, I mean, one of the things I think we're known for here is our proven ability over the years, uh, we'll soon be able to say over the decades, uh, to skillfully develop a cooperative network of partnerships with others in our ranks and to work in cooperation uh, with so many different people, whether we're promoting them on the radio program or working with them in different endeavors outside of the studio, it's just um, a great amount of mutual respect that comes and, and goes. It flows both ways uh, from uh, us to them, and and uh, thankfully. Well, I don't think I ever told you us. this before, but 
Bill Rowland and I basically intentionally set out to mentor you early on. We got together and said, you know, uh, James has something that we don't have. All right, have, you're embarrassing me him now. On. This is and, embarrassing. And it's really, but, you know, it was really good because, you know, uh, it's like Jared said. He said he saw you what at the very beginning. said, this guy has promise and whatnot. Well, we thought the same thing. And, you know, everything that, you know, it worked out. We got you on the right reading list, things like this. Uh, got the vocabulary going for you. Everything has worked out. That, <laughs> you know, we're, we're like your, uh, 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 you know, Henry Higgins or something. Nah. We, we, we were the ones that worked on that. And you have just taken it and run with it. And you, you, if anything, you've exceeded everybody's expectations. So I wanted to. Take this opportunity to congratulate you for all of that. Dal, I appreciate it. Uh, that's enough glad-handing and backslapping of each other. Uh, but I, I will tell you this. It has been a very fun back-to-back -back weeks on the road, meeting so many people who appreciate the program, uh, so many people who, who come to this program uh, and listen every week. Uh, the speech at Amrin, and again last week at the – Southern Cultural Center Conference was seemingly very well received. I believe uh, there has been a publication in France uh, that has asked for a transcription of it so they can publish it in, in, in French. So meeting a lot of folks in Tennessee and Alabama. Uh, and by the way, I know and I regret, I wish you could have been there last week, uh, but uh, we can't be at all places at all times. Last week's show uh, was just really something. I, I got to say again, Jared Taylor and Brad Griffin teaming up as they did on the program. It was really one. You just have a feel for, I think they're all good. You have a feel when some are better than others. Last week was one of those shows. Yeah. And in particular, Brad Griffin really did a great job. And of course, Jared did. Uh, and to hear Jared uh, talk well. so much about the South, you know, for three hours, having Jared for three hours as a co-host, obviously going to be a unique program. Well, I was glad to filled hear your seat, that. filled your seat for one night only. That's right. Well, that on the other hand, he did a great job. Brad really is, you know, he's coming into his own as well, uh, you know, and I'm so glad that, you know, he has an unfortunate pro propensity every once in a while to get into a funk and not want to uh, create uh, uh, articles and things like that. But we've got to break him out of that because he's come back. He had a little lull like that in the early summer. Every soldier's got to have a furlough. Right, but now he's come back, and I mean he's he's uh, taking the ball, and he's uh, he's leading the team in a lot of ways. He's great, uh, and he was of course on very briefly during the live remote broadcast at the American Renaissance Conference two weeks ago. But last week was just something else entirely. Really nice to have both of those guys on for a deep dive, including everyone else who came on the, that particular program: uh, John Friend, John Hill, uh, Mike Wharton, Ed Boardwine. Ruth Ann Holly and, and others, uh, that was just a, a really great time in Alabama. But, yes, I mean, as we slip back into our familiar chairs here in the broadcast studio, first time in three weeks we are not doing a remote. It does seem as though our work here is operating at a very high level, uh, and uh, it's uh, we've taken another step forward this summer. Uh, I think we have very much uh, plugged in and connected. And, you know, I tell you, Keith, I mean, we've been talking about it. We talked about it in the speech been talking about it on the radio more and more people are certainly coming uh, to our destination and to our conclusions on the issues and it makes me all the more proud this is one thing that i am proud about we were here before the dawn we were here when it was very very difficult and now more and more people are doing it and it's getting easier it's not easy but it is getting easier and we were here before it 
any of it. Well, like that old song, we were country before country was cool. Well, <laughs> we did that, but by getting out to all of these various conferences uh, that you've been attending and speaking at, our profile is being raised. And like you said, more and more people, just people that before would be Tea Party people or Glenn Beck followers or whatnot, they're coming to our side. And when they're coming to our side, they're hearing you because you're at all of these conferences and whatnot. It's really working. It's uh, it's, it's like uh, you know we're gaining momentum as time. Nothing, passes. nothing given. Uh, everything earned, and we've of course worked very hard for a very long time. And it's um, anyway, it's just very, it's very rewarding uh, to be part of of this collective and to just play our role. That that's that's what we're doing here. We're playing our role. With that being said, uh, and now that we're back here, uh, we've got a lot coming for you tonight. I'm going to detail. Oh, dear friends and listeners, do not miss the second hour. I went to Selma, Alabama with Jared Taylor, and we toured it for a full day last Sunday. I'll tell you all about it in the second hour. But first, a story tailor-made for Keith Alexander next. The spirit of the American West is alive and well in Range Magazine, the award-winning quarterly devoted to the issues of the American West. Each issue contains informative articles, breathtaking imagery, as well as the culture of cowboy spirit today, and gift ideas like this year's Buckaroo calendar. Order online from rangemagazine.com. Loving Liberty Network salutes the spirit of the American West at rangemagazine.com. Hello, TPC family. It's James, and I've got to tell you that I sleep better at night knowing that there are organizations like the Conservative Citizens Foundation. The purpose of the Conservative Citizens Foundation is to promote the principles of limited government, individual liberty, equality before the law, property rights, law and order, judicial restraint, and states' rights, while, at the same time, exploring the dangers posed by liberalism to our national interests and cultural institutions. The Conservative Citizens Foundation also seeks to educate the public on the dangers of extremist ideologies like critical race theory and cultural Marxism. I've worked with the good people at the Conservative Citizens Foundation for many years and their work comes with my complete endorsement. For more information and to keep up with all the latest conservative news headlines, please check out their website, MericaFirst.com. That's M-E-R-I-C-A-1-S-T.com. MericaFirst.com. This is a battle a battle between truth and deceit, a battle between forces that would enslave this country in darkness and between a media that wants to present you with the truth. We are being censored. America's news outlets no longer provide the truth. 90% of news outlets in the United States are controlled by six corporations. The mission of the Epic Times is to chase the truth, to ground all statements in fact. TheEpicTimes.com Well, welcome back, everybody. James Edwards, Keith Alexander. In the second hour, stay tuned. I'm going to take you behind the scenes on what I saw and what we experienced uh, in Selma, Alabama last Sunday. It was really an impromptu trip. I'll give you all of the details in the second hour. But first, Keith, our reputation, uh, reputation precedes us in more ways than I think even we can appreciate. Uh, it was actually in the comment section 
of the official review of the American Renaissance Conference that was written and published by the American Renaissance staff to Amren.com, where I saw this particular comment. Now, to be fair, you and I had already talked about discussing this particular story on the show our first week back in the studio, obviously because of the remote broadcast, we couldn't do it in either of the last two shows. So we had already had this one tucked away. Uh, but there are a couple of people on the Amrin comment thread who write, speaking of James Edwards, turns out the whole matter with that movie The Blind Side may have been all made up. Michael Orr is coming out and spilling the beans, though I can't discount that he might be lying out of sour grapes. Michael Orr and James Edwards went to the same high school in Memphis. Indeed, we did. I was actually out of there uh, a little bit before he arrived. It was Briarcrest Christian School. I went there from pre-kindergarten all the way through high school, and then the last couple of years we homeschooled. But I spent a lot of years there, a lot of great memories there on the basketball team there. My dad was a coach. We undefeated. What a championship. I got to work that in, you understand. <laughs> but anyway... Uh, this is uh, a big movie, The Blind Side, in 2009. And again, being in Memphis, being from Memphis, born and raised, Keith Alexander, this is his hometown, uh, lived here, worked here all of his life. So, of course, we know this story quite well. So we're going to let Keith. He's actually come in with a case file. He came in here with a case file, and he's going to do a deep dive, really sink his teeth into this delicious story that was tailor-made for him and for this program. First, Keith, give him a little bit of backgrounder. Who is Michael Orr and who are Sean and Leanne Tui? And then we'll get into uh, the unpleasantness. Michael Orr was one of 13 children of a crack-addicted mother who the state took over control of his uh, parenting and then lost track of him. He was wandering the streets of Memphis and whatnot, and he was picked out by Sean Tuey and his wife who saw in him the potential for a big football player. Okay? And these are guilty white liberal Memphis socialites. Well, what they are, if you really want to know what they are, they're connivers and grifters. They wanted, they're basically athletic boosters, uh, athletic supporters, no pun intended. And uh, uh, <clears throat> what they did was they wanted Briarcrest Christian School, which I think when it was originally found, it was called Briarcrest Baptist School. That is correct. Uh, back in 1974, it was one of the so-called infamous segregation academies that propped, cropped up just as busing hit Memphis. We were very lucky in Memphis that we had an administration primarily by, uh, and give the devil his due, a Jewish mayor we had named Henry Loeb who was totally assimilated, and he was a Jew that I wish that we could have unleashed on the whole world because he was Jewish, had an Ivy League education, he went to Brown University, but he was six foot six and looked and sounded like John Wayne. And he fought Brown versus Board of Education tooth and nail. He was the mayor when Martin Luther King was assassinated in Memphis. And that's a, we, we could have a whole show on that someday if you want to, James. But nonetheless, uh, because he fought it, I went to school in without busing and thank goodness for that you know michael andrew grissom one of our friends who wrote southern by the grace of god didn't have that experience he grew up in tulsa oklahoma which in the late 50s had a liberal mayor who basically green lighted 
all the changes that the left wanted in public education, including total segregation. And because of that, his educational experience was horrible. Mine was great because our government fought it. Back you, then. you you caught a jackrabbit in your peripheral vision and started chasing it into the woods. We <laughs> get back. I mean no, that, no, that's well, that's good background. But but Sean and Leanne Tui, Michael Orr, the current lawsuit is making national news. We know these people uh, through reputation, and of course at different points in our lives, I went to the same school. But go ahead. Okay. Well, what happened was this. Uh, Sean Tui sent his children to Briarcrest. We'll just call it Briarcrest, not Briarcrest Baptist or Christian or whatnot. It was originally a Southern Baptist segregation academy. Uh, that there was there, there was no. They didn't even. They of course, when it was first mentioned, the original president, the original administrator said, "Yeah, of course, it's because of segregation that we're chartering this this private school." And and, and everybody knew it. Now they say, you know, they're of course they pledge fealty to diversity. But it was originally, and that's another thing. And look at the Southern Baptist. It was a Southern Baptist school. It was a, it was a church school. And there was no doubt about Southern Baptists being pro Southern and pro white back then because that's who their membership was. Anyway, we're, we're, now I'm chasing rabbits. But Michael, this is a big story. We're trying to give you. A little bit of background. Well, we've got enough time to go. Yeah, keep going, keep going. So what's but, going on? Well, what happened was they found Michael Orr and thought, and Sean Tui wanted to boost the athletic prospects of Briarcrest Baptist School or Briarcrest Christian School. Uh, he did not like the fact that they were losing to Memphis University School and Christian Brothers, uh, which were two big private schools in town that had been there longer. They did not start in 1974. They started well before that. And because of that, he was looking for a way to boost the stock of Briarcrest. And he had played basketball at Ole Miss back in the early 80s. In fact, I think he still holds the SEC record for most assists in a uh, career. And his wife, the odious Leanne Tui, was a cheerleader at Ole Miss. That's right, and that's where they met. And they hate Ole Miss, by the way. I mean, that's another thing. I mean, as, as once they came into fame, once Hollywood decided to make a movie uh, out of the Michael Orr story, 2009's The Blind Side, then it was all, well, of course, and maybe they always felt this way, but it, certainly any public statement I've ever read, very much uh, derogatory to their ancestors, uh, it denigrates the Old Miss traditions, the Confederate heritage they, of Old Miss, were for changing the flag, the, for Colonel Rebel, flag, Colonel uh, Rebel, uh, changing uh, the fight song, getting rid of Colonel Rebel, all of this stuff. They basically went with the liberal flow. They saw which way the winds were blowing at and that's that what time. They did. At okay. that time, so they were, uh, and that's exactly what they did with the Michael Orr situation. With Michael, they saw somebody that could help the team, but there were problems. One of the big problems was the TSSAA, the Tennessee Secondary School Athletic Association, which is like the high school equivalent in Tennessee to the NCAA in college. TSSAA had passed a rule at the urging of black high school coaches who did not want their best players being cherry-picked out of their uh, schools and going to these private schools that had better education and money and stuff like this. So they got the TSSAA to pass a rule, a law in effect, that said that if you gave a kid a scholarship to go to a private school, unless the money was being paid by his parents or a close relative like a rich uncle or a grandfather or something, 
They could certainly go to the school, but they could not play basketball or football. Well, Sean Tui was an alpha male. That's exactly why he wanted Michael Orr at Briarcrest. So he found a way, he said, to get around it, which was be, I'm going to adopt the kid, which means that I'm going to be um, his parent so I can pay his tuition. Well, that's what everybody believed had happened until this lawsuit hit back on August the 14th of 2021, and we found out for the first time that he did not indeed adopt Michael Orr. Instead, he had a conservatorship set up for him. Now, he, Tui said that was because a lawyer told him that you couldn't adopt a kid over 18 or something like this. And, well, he wasn't 18 at the time he was yeah, going to Briarcrest at high school. Yeah, so, uh, again, that, that – uh, rationale gets blown out of the water but nonetheless that's what he did but he got Michael where he could play basketball and football at Briarcrest he had a good career at that place and uh, because of his size and his relative speed at that size he was the target of a lot of division one recruiting okay uh, oh of course, Leanne and Sean, and he was living with them, Michael Orr was living with them in their home at the time. Uh, I'm sure they were not adverse to him going to Ole Miss. So he wound up at Which Ole Miss. Which was the alma mater of both of the, of the parents. Right. Well. Or the adults. Then, at this point, the NCAA got interested in the case and sent a young black woman investigator to interview the Tuies. What happened in that interview? Stay tuned, and we'll be glad to tell you after these words from our sponsors. Protecting your liberties. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA News, I'm Corey Myers. GOP presidential candidates are disagreeing over a national abortion ban. During last night's debate, former Vice President Mike Pence said he'd push for a federal 15-week ban on abortion if elected. Former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley argued that. 70% of the American people support legislation but to ban abortion the after Senate a baby is capable not. of... House Republicans may soon be investigating the Georgia DA who launched a criminal probe against former President Donald Trump. CNN reporting the House Judiciary Committee expected to open a congressional investigation into Fulton County District Attorney Fawny Willis. It could happen as soon as today. The fate of the so-called Texas floating border wall now in the hands of a federal judge. A federal judge on Tuesday rejected the Texas argument that the buoy border in the Rio Grande was needed to repel an invasion and said partisan politics will not affect his final ruling. Texas Governor Greg Abbott has said he plans to take the fight to the Supreme Court. Wagner Group soldiers have issued a chilling warning after their leader died in a plane crash yesterday. 
Evgeny Prigozhin and nine others were killed when the mercenary leader's private jet crashed on a flight from Moscow to St. Petersburg. In a video on social media, three of his soldiers said, we are starting, wait for us. The trial of the man accused of killing four Idaho college students is being delayed indefinitely. Yesterday, Brian Koberger waived his right to a speedy trial. His court date originally scheduled for October 2nd. However, his legal team said they were not prepared to present their case by that deadline. This is USA News. Jim Gaffigan here with some more straight talk. Let's take a moment to appreciate our sweet children, loving grandparents, and eternal soulmates. Now let's use them to save money on wireless. Because with the Straight Talk Silver Plan, you get four lines for just $25 a month with unlimited data and no contracts. So add those human pawns, I mean loved ones, and save money. Thanks, kids. They're finally worth it. Straight Talk Wireless, available at Walmart. Get four lines on Silver Unlimited for $25 per line per month, plus taxes and fees. For data management practices and additional terms, visit straighttalk.com. Of course I use Mr. Clean Magic Eraser to clean tough messes off my stovetop and bathtub. But then I discovered I can also use it to easily clean my patio furniture and even my shoes. I'm hooked. And when wipes won't cut it, I use Magic Eraser Sheets. They're thin and flexible erasers, perfect for everyday messes, like gunk on my counters and sinks. They really are magical. The reviews are in. Mr. Clean Magic Eraser and Sheets make cleaning look easy. And welcome back, everybody. Again, this story would have been newsworthy and something that we would have covered on this program just because of the racial animus and the fact that it is a national news story right now. But the fact that it uh, had its genesis in Memphis at the same school that I attended and had so many great memories at in the 80s and 90s. It uh, it was really just something that had to be covered in a deep dive sort of uh, way. So, again, we're talking about the story of uh, Sean and Leanne Tui and the black football player Michael Orr, who went on to have a career in the NFL. And the uh, this story was the subject of the 2009 movie The Blind Side, which starred Sandra Bullock as Leanne Tui and Tim McGraw, the country singer, as... Sean, Sean Tui. Going back to the Amrin comments, normally uh, the commenter writes, I'd avoid talking about Hollywood movies like The Plague, but I vividly remember when that film came out and one of the white secretaries in my office told me how she cried after seeing it. Out of curiosity, I watched it on cable and it was the white savior complex porn. So I'm not surprised that there was a heavy dose of creative license that was used. Uh, so that, I guess, brings us up to the question, Keith, why now are the Tuies and Michael Orr at odds? Or why is Michael Orr at odds with the Tuies? Because here's the thing. I mean, yes, the Tuies are very bad people, best I can tell. Not just because they denigrate the South, they denigrate our symbols, they denigrate our heroes, they denigrate our customs and folkways. Um, that would be bad enough. That would put them on our contemptible list no matter what. But it's not even, it doesn't even appear as though uh, they have the typical complex that you see from elite, wealthy, white families that adopt blacks as a means to either virtue signal or, or whatever. It looks as though they don't even have that sincerity. It looks as though they just did it to get in on, uh, for selfish reasons, and 
well, we'll get to the complaints that Michael Orr has, but it's very much like the Colin Kaepernick situation. No matter how you slice it, and for whatever their motivations, they did take this guy in off the street. They put him in a very elite, snobby, white family. He lived in the lap of luxury for those last couple of years of high school. He went on to Ole Miss and had a very lucrative NFL career. Would it have happened without the Tuies? Probably not. Uh, and so, but, you know, where's the, as Buchanan said, we always hear the, the grievances, what about the gratitude? Very much like Colin Kaepernick, who was um, taken in and raised in a very nice middle class. And in this case, you know, it seems as though that family, the Kaepernick family, was a, a nice middle class Midwestern family. Uh, but he hates them. He hates them and or hates these people. I mean, you just can't do enough to get on the right side, can you? Well, that's really the trouble with somebody like Colin Kaepernick, who is basically a mulatto. He had a one white parent and one black parent, and they always wind up identifying with the black parent. But in this case, the Tuies were basically out-of-control boosters for their schools, Briarcrest and Ole Miss. Well, I where I left us before the break was – the NCAA was sending a investigator, who happened to be a young black woman, to interview the Tuies, and she was suspicious of the whole thing. Well, the interview started. It wasn't going so well. At least that's the understanding I have. And then the Tuies pivoted. They said, no, you've got it all wrong. We're not out-of-control boosters. We're latter-day civil rights heroes, and we're doing this just because we want to help a young black man in need and whatnot. And then the whole thing just took off. Uh, Tui comes from New Orleans. He went to Newman High School, which is the same high school that the Mannings went to, Peyton and Eli, and their older brother Cooper. And uh, he played basketball there rather than football. But another graduate of that school is Michael Lewis, uh, the guy that wrote Moneyball and some other interesting, really pretty good novels. Well, Tui got him involved in it, so everything started to go. Then he writes a book called The Blind Side about the whole episode. And the Tui certainly didn't mind leaning into their newfound celebrity when that was a major motion picture. Oh yeah, they were they were catching bouquets, and you know they were they were the toast of the town. Everybody loved it, like you said. Uh, white women, credulous white women, were uh, reduced to tears at this heartrending story about, you know, how they uh, swooped down and picked this up. I remember uh, this kid out of the ghetto. I remember Sandra Bullock saying she's very dubious about them at first, but then she met them and she was totally sold on it. I wonder if she's totally sold well, on I it Well, I mean, now. Sandra. I mean, yeah, Sandra Bullock is Jewish, Jewish feminist. Uh, yeah, yeah, Jewish Hollywood. Feminist, Hollywood. We, we won't take her opinion yeah, too yeah, far. That, but, that, it didn't take much. But to even then, her. even then, Keith, when they were riding at the height of their celebrity. There was already a little bit of discontent because Michael Orr didn't like the fact that this movie portrayed him to have a low IQ. Well, everything was all right until the movie hit. And then all this celebrity hit, and he didn't like the way he was portrayed. Was he, was he portrayed inaccurately, in your estimation? Well... Yes, but uh, the inaccuracy was that he was even dumber than he was portrayed to be. <laughs> okay, <laughs> He graduated from uh, Briarcrest, and I hear tell, I haven't really confirmed this, but that he was last in his class, okay? 
he was so dumb that he couldn't even qualify as an athlete at Ole Miss, and that's that's saying something there, okay? <laughs> Purportedly. So, I, I wouldn't doubt it because I tell you, Brockcrest is a tough school but anyway, and, and an expensive one. And this is a, a thing. This is not a joke, but I always, I always say it. Anytime any of uh, my friends would graduate from Briarcrest, the parents would celebrate because they got a big tuition discount only having to pay for college. Yeah, that's right. That's the way I felt, too, sending my kids to him. Yeah. But anyway, but so he didn't like the fact that he was portrayed as this low IQ because he said it actually sort of hurt his stock at the NFL because allegedly teams didn't believe he was smart enough to, to, to understand plays and coverages and defenses and schemes and things. But it basically, the Tuies are the big hero. They got this dumb black kid, and because of them and only because of them uh, he was able to go on and have an NFL career well there's another story behind how he actually qualified to get into Ole Miss okay now these are just stories we're not confirming or denying yeah, right. we're just telling but the story was this and where did you hear this story from I've heard it from various people that uh here you think are reliable sources right we're not yeah. going to reveal our sources this is like uh deep throat well here's the situation Michael of had a problem qualifying to get into Ole Miss, even as an athlete. So does Ole Miss turn down anybody? Well, I didn't think they did until I heard <laughs> this story. But here, here's what happened. Uh, what happened was that Sean got busy. He's an alpha male. He does not like to hear the word no. He doesn't like to be frustrated in his plan. So he found out that there was a – program sponsored by Brigham Young University where you could send uh, uh, enroll a kid and replace those pesky D's and F's on his high school record with A's and B's you take a two-week course two weeks and then you have to submit a paper an essay and if you pass then you can get you know an A, B or whatever you get maybe a C or something like that but you replace one of those bad uh, uh, marks on your academic record like a d or an f well to do that though to qualify for that program you had to be adhd well that was no problem for the twoies they were able to find a compliant psychologist that uh, uh, confirmed yes indeed michael has well, adhd and that's not hard to do every doctor is so eager to i say every i mean that's a little bit of hyperbole but not much so many doctors are so eager to diagnose anyone with a h a d they used to call it a d d just because they want to get you hooked on retlin or any of these drugs. I mean, this is just how the the well, big pharma well, works. So yeah, I mean, he maybe big pharma maybe he wants had them it. to do that. Maybe they, he or had it, but even if he didn't, I mean, everybody, if you asked a doctor to give you a d d or a whatever they call it now prescription, you got it. Well, then. My, uh, uh, it used to just call boys having, yeah, having energy, but now they don't do that. They well, want to drug you. Well, what happened was he got a retired Memphis school teacher to be the tutor for Michael. This is the role that was played by Kathy Bates of Memphis, by the way. Great actress. Yeah. I will. I will say I do like her as an actress. Uh, and uh, she was. Uh, she played this tutor. Well, Evil Tongues report that she actually wrote the essays for Michael and uh, not Kathy Bates, but not, not Kathy Bates, <laughs> but the actual tutor that she was portraying. Well, we're speculating. Of course, well, this of, is just things you hear on the, on the mean streets. Yeah, of Memphis. Yeah, right. Yeah. But anyway, uh, Michael 
gets into Ole Miss, and once he gets there, they're not going to let him go. The next thing you know, he's Dean's List or something over there. <laughs> in fact, he mentions that in his lawsuit. Now, was Hugh Freeze the coach at Ole Miss by the time he made it there? Yeah. See, now, that was another one of my old teachers. This was actually the high school football coach at Briarcrest. There was definitely a lot of stuff going on in the pipeline there, the Memphis to Oxford pipeline. Well, look. Freeze caught the Tui pipeline or uh, caught the wave and, uh, you know, uh, did well by being involved in it. When he went to uh, Briarcrest, he was a girls' basketball or volleyball coach. Then he became the SC, one of the top programs in the SEC yeah, men's football yeah, and, uh, or football coach. And he really got his kickoff in the Michael Orr era. That's when he was All a right. football coach. Now, we are going to get to the unpleasantness of this, what this lawsuit alleges and why there's been a great falling out between Michael Orr and the two. Why does the left lie constantly? Because they get spiritual power from lying. The lies come from Satan, the father of lies. John 8, 44. Here's how the political lying process works. Satan provides the beast with a lie. Then the more they use the lie, the more spiritual power they get. Look, the media is a lie multiplier, and this multiplication gives more evil spiritual power to the beast, and that can overwhelm and even deceive the body of Christ, especially when the body is being disobedient to the head. The churches today are incorporated, so they're subordinate to human government. They obey the beast and do nothing to restore our national relationship with God. And the government shall be on his shoulders, Isaiah 9, 6. That verse is not for the present-day church. Rather, it is for the end-time church, the body of the line of Judah. A message from Christ Kingdom Ministries. Antelope Hill Publishing is America's leading publisher of dissident books, bringing you a wide variety of new translations and original works on every subject from the Spanish Civil War to the funding behind the transgender movement. Antelope Hill publishes books that mainstream publishers won't touch, full of information that challenges the political status quo and brings real culture to the reading public at an affordable price. If you count yourself as a political dissident, then you owe it to yourself to check out the Antelope Hill catalog with exclusive offerings like Rebel Mountain by Kurt Eggers, a brand new reprint of the infamous You Gentiles by Marie Samuel, and now the treatise of a January 6th prisoner in the American regime. There is something there for everyone, and new titles are added every month. Check out the complete catalog today at antelopehillpublishing.com. That's antelopehillpublishing.com. I'm James Edwards, and I want you to check out antelopehillpublishing.com. Not a fairy tale ending for this Hollywood story, the story of the blind side. Uh, it it reminds me of the old thing that apart. we heard when I was a child. Oh, what a tangled web you weave when first you <laughs> practice to deceive, right? So here we are. Now, according to both sides of this, when this lawsuit, and Keith has it in a file folder here. Did you go down to the courthouse and print that out? Where'd you get that from? Uh, I have some inside contacts, and I got it uh, copied. <laughs> it's in probate court in Memphis. The judge is Kathy Gomes. Well, let me just before you give us the details. So basically, uh, what I, I appears to be the case is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, the Tui family received 
about $7.5 million for the rights to use their story as the subject of that movie, The Blind Side. And Michael Orr is now suing them. Now, why so many years after the fact, uh, Michael Orr earned over $34 million from his contracts as a player in the National Football League. Did he blow all of that? Why now, after 14 years after the movie, is he coming back for uh, his his cut, a cut he says he didn't receive from uh, the payments made for the rights to the family story? And I believe what I read in some of these news reports were, it basically sounds like a shakedown or extortion. He's, he's what What has been alleged was that he told them he would not file this lawsuit if they gave him X amount of money, and I think they balked or whatever, apparently. I mean, they, I guess they didn't do it because well, they filed the lawsuit. it would never end, uh, you know, in all, you know, uh, candor. If they started paying him money, it would never end. He would be coming back and back. It's like reparations, okay? Reparations, if you start paying reparations, you'll never stop paying reparations. But, here's the, but why, is, why is he so upset? Because here's the thing. Say what you will about them. They are terrible people by all accounts. I couldn't think less of them. But what is his problem with it? They they, they took him in. He lived in a, a very elite home, went to the most elite private prep school in, in Memphis, or at least one of the top three, I would say, along with MUS and Christian Brothers, and got into the NFL. Why, why is he so upset now, 14 years later? Why does he want another piece of the action? Why has he allowed this to terminate i mean i think again it goes back to the way he was portrayed in the movie and then they're sort of the heroes and he's just the the, the well, black man who uh was taken for a ride i think it's a little deeper and more widespread than that for example why do you think we have all these concussion protocols in the nfl now to try to get money to these ex-football players who like michael have blown their money okay their career is over. They were living high on the hog while the money was coming in. I think $34 million would be enough to set you up for life. He's coming back for more. You give me $1 million and I guarantee you won't hear from me again. <laughs> <laughs> so what, um, what, what is the complaint here? Uh, and, and, and I think he had some sort of a big problem with the fact that he was technically under their conservatorship instead of their adopted Well, look, it just gets, umbrella. Down, it, it gets down to sheer greed. What's, okay? he, what's he saying the problem is? Well, he says the problem is that they misled him. He thought he had been adopted. Instead, he was just the. So they owe him seven million dollars because he wasn't technically adopted. Well, I think what the real bone of contention is, he thinks they made a hat full on the movie and he didn't get any of it. Well, what's he suing for? It was actually they. It's purportedly they made seven and a half million dollars off the movie. I don't know if that's right. That's in one report. I think he's suing for. I think I read in one article he's suing for fifteen million. That's like double what they made. That doesn't seem very fair. Well, <laughs> let me. Let me see what it says here. Uh, we need your clerk in here to turn those yeah, pages. Right. Well, it doesn't matter what the exact number is. Just Let's just cut back to well, the Well, quite frankly, I, I don't know that it's uh, mentioned, but basically what the real reason is is that the money stopped flowing in, and like a lot of ex-NFL people, they're pissed about that. He is. He's recently married. I wouldn't be surprised if his new wife had something to do with it, too. But he's in his late 30s. He's been out of the league, the National Football League now, for several years. And apparently the money, I would expect, $34 million. Well, I'd heard 37 but, you know, whatever it is. Do you think it, that's enough for any single family well, to live off of I for a while? Or? I think I could make do. <laughs> but nonetheless... 
uh, if he's like most former black NFL players, he's it's blown through him like you know what through a goose. So uh, it's gone. <laughs> Definitely not and unprecedented it, for that to happen. Meanwhile, uh, what Sean Tui did, he was the franchise holder for all the Taco Bell franchises in the Memphis area. He sold it recently. I've heard. Two hundred twenty million. I've heard two hundred sixteen million. Whatever it is, these he's guys doing just well. get more and more despicable. He's hawking that poison, hawking hatred of the South. Being a not even a true. He's not even a sincere virtue signaling white. He's a conniving one, well, and see, a greedy one. He was portraying himself as being a civil rights hero, helping this Michael Orr. But Michael Orr helped them a lot more than they helped Orr. Well, if you get down to it, yeah, right. Well, it, look, he was there's a lot be, of people from the projects that end up in the NFL without without white people adopting them and sending them to their favorite look, schools. The, the Tuies were going to be rich regardless of Mike. Well, they were already not. rich. And furthermore, there was another guy named Greg Hardy that they were instrumental in. And he actually played for the Dallas Cowboys. That was, they, they were trying to make this a little he, he like went a cottage, to Ole Miss as well. A cottage industry. Uh, he went to Ole Miss as well, and he had a short but storied career as probably the best pass rusher in the NFL there for several years. I think he got booted from the league for domestic violence or something like that uh, later on. But, see, Michael didn't have any of those problems. Uh, none of that came out. And he had a longer career, but he uh, got a concussion, I think, and then uh, he was out of the NFL I had the feeling that the money got thin if it didn't run out altogether, and Maybe he was th expecting the Tuies as his parents to help him out. Maybe they'll get Sandra Bullock to reprise her role in a sequel that gives <laughs> us the rest of the story and, uh, and, and how it all fell apart. But, but I, I think another thing that people need to know is that when all of this exploded, and we would have covered this a week or two ago had it not been, again, for these remote broadcasts, but... All the, the reaction that I saw, there was actually one article that went around and, and collected comments from black Twitter users and black social media users in the Memphis area. And all of them from waitresses at different restaurants where the twoies would frequent. Anybody that I saw that was quoted in this report that had any interaction with the twoies whatsoever, black people I'm talking about. And if it's one thing they're known for, it's for uh, what? That high profile of uh boosting of themselves based on well i know but i mean sort. but the, the the movie tried to portray them as, as you said these modern day civil rights you know yeah, white heroes. people just you know doing better than their ancestors and all of that but uh all of the black people that were quoted in the story said how how wretched they were how how rude they were how they wouldn't want to serve how snobby them, they were how snobby they wouldn't leave tips they were de they were overly demanding now again i'll take that with a grain of salt most times but i could actually First impressions are, are really a good indicator of something, and I've never, ever, ever thought that these people were anything other than jumped-up white trash. Well, they and self-hating, white-hating partisans. Well, the thing is, first of all, it tells you something about black people. It also tells you something about white people. This whole thing is a parable. The black people are never satisfied with what white people do for them. You can give them the best uh, kickoff in life that you possibly could, and when the money runs out, which it inevitably does, they're coming back and they'll call you everything. Colin Kaepernick, Michael Orr, these are a dime a dozen stories. They also resent the fact that white people make money off of a sport that they dominate, like professional football or professional basketball. They still, you know, they're always complaining we don't have enough black coaches, we don't have enough black owners, all of this, yada, 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 okay? So it doesn't matter what you do. The more you do for them, the more they want. 
You know, that's what happens. That's the black part of it. The white part of it is no matter what you do for them, you will still be uh, eventually cast into the role of a villain. That's what's happened to the uh, Tuies. And quite frankly, uh, I'm like you. If they were really civil rights heroes, they would have been giving scholarships to four foot eleven black guys. Not that. <laughs> now, okay, that's the thing, right? It wasn't just that they took in. That is a great point, Keith. It wasn't just that they took in the most downtrodden, uh, downtrodden, crack-addled, you know, baby, raised him from cradle to birth. They adopted or became the conservators. We won't quibble over a guy that was ready to step into the starting lineup of a major high school program and then go on to a major SEC program and then go on to the NFL. That's who they decided to adopt. Now, isn't that interesting? Yeah. Or, right. or, or conserve. Uh, well, what a coincidence, as they say. You know, that they That's just a great opinion. point. Yeah, they need to, if they want to do it right, they need to go and they need to just go down to Orange Mound and just find these babies that are dying because of their parents' drug use and malnourishment. They need to adopt some of those that aren't going to give them a Hollywood movie. And furthermore, if they weren't race traders, they could have found some white working class or lower middle class kids that needed some help going to a nice private school or to college. You know, because of affirmative action, basically scholarships for kids that are white working class and lower middle class kids have dried up. That's why so many people in our movement have given up on college because, and they want to get into the, what I call the dirty fingernail uh, occupations, like being a plumber or being an electrician <laughs> or things like this, because they've given up on going you know, to college and uh, pursuing upward social mobility. That's not there for white kids. They could have been giving scholarships to white kids as well, but no, they're not going to do that. They're totally focused on giving money to kids that – have potential to be um, uh, in the NFL or the NBA. You know, it's a, what do they call it? Uh, it, it was a uh, – they just felt like everything that they were doing was helping them as boosting, as big boosters. And, of course, being a big booster and bringing good uh, prospects into a program like Ole Miss or any SEC program, that's going to get you some attention. There is a Sean Tui building on the campus there the basketball team's uh, practice facility was sponsored by the Tuies. So the Tuies were riding the crest. They, they were living the good life. Uh, they were the big boosters. And furthermore, they did it uh, and became heroes just because the kids that they were promoting were black. All right, put on your legal analyst cap the music's playing how does this play out i mean because this is going to continue to be a story and this is i mean of course lawsuits can take years to resolve but what do you see well if they get a jury trial the twoies are toast on the other <laughs> hand they're going to get a jury of their peers and in memphis that's going to be majority black and they ain't siding with these uh, with these white guys on the other hand if it's a bench trial they've got a chance so we'll find out what happens but on the other hand the whole thing has bit them in the posture. Who do you want to win? I tell you, I'm, I'm rooting for Michael Orr all the way. I, I wouldn't be. Quite frankly, either <laughs> way it comes out, I'm, I'm going to be. No matter right. who wins, no matter who loses, we win type of thing. Yeah, right, no, this yeah. is delicious. This yeah. is a story. This is something that people, you know, people need to be punished for doing this. This is race traders versus uh, avaricious black guy. Uh, let the games begin. <laughs> hey, folks, I went to Selma, Alabama. 
I spent a whole day there with Jared Taylor, and I'm going to tell you about it. Are you prepared to bug out? Infidel Body Armor and an Army Ranger have produced a high-speed DVD and book to show you how to drive in combat, patrol, and how to survive in combat. Skills you'll need when it hits the fan. Go to DrivenDVD.com. DrivenDVD.com. You're listening to Resolution Radio. 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 ResolutionRDO.com. In ancient times, man roamed the earth in a constant state of hunting or being hunted. Introducing Caveman, where cutting-edge science meets ancient super nutrients. Secure your bottle right now at InfoWarsStore.com. You're listening to the Political Cesspool on ResolutionRDO.com. Call and listen now at 607-203-5423. That's 607 203 5423. Thanks for listening to Project Schoolyard Volume 2. For more information about the project, as well as lyric to the songs on this CD, please visit www.tightrope.cc. You can also find jokes, news articles, a photo gallery, free CD downloads, and a secure online shopping cart. We carry a full line of flags, t shirts, CDs, books, stickers, and other products of interest to racially conscious white people. Please visit www.tightrope.cc. You're listening to the Liberty News Radio Network, and this is the Political Cesspool. The Political Cesspool, known across the South and worldwide as the South's foremost populist conservative radio program. And here to guide you through the murky waters of the Political Cesspool is your host, James Edwards. All right, everybody, welcome back. How about that first hour? I'll tell you, the last four hours of radio here, the three last week uh, from the conference uh, featuring Jared Taylor and Brad Griffin, John Friend and others, that first hour with Keith Alexander. Keith, can't do it without you, man. Well, I appreciate it, but this is what, this is what we always say. We never are lacking for material, the, uh, the media, everything else, you know, uh, current events always provides us with plenty to talk about. We're never, it's never a matter of having too little to talk about. Usually it's a matter of having too much to talk about and trying to thin the herd a little bit and find out what we think is most important. So that was fun, and uh, what we're going to do here, ladies and gentlemen, this second hour, I am going to do the best, limited by my meager command of the English language, to tell you what I saw and witnessed in Selma, Alabama last Sunday. I hope that I can find the words. It is really uh, word, words fail you to describe what you saw. No, no, no. In Selma. Listen, this is no joke, and I don't want to be flippant about this. I, I want to give you an honest, sure enough testimony, and uh, that's what we're going to try to do. But first, let me tell you how it actually came about. So. You know how it is after you do a live show. Anybody who's ever been around uh, or attended one of our live remote broadcasts, 
we don't go home at nine o'clock. We don't go home when no, the show no, ends. No, no, you, you you treat to the bar or to the oh, restaurant or we, something. No, we, you, 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 a few autographs, a few pictures with people, and then you just stay up talking to people. After Amrin, I stayed up until three a.m. That's what your wife told me. I left uh, well before then, but uh, uh, three a.m. Uh, talking with folks and friends and. Uh, last week was no difference. Now we didn't stay up till three, but we did stay for a little while after the show and um, had a couple of nightcaps and uh, enjoyed the fellowship and camaraderie. And that was when this plan was hatched. So with Jared and Brad and a few other people who who stuck around uh, through the end of the show, we were all just sitting around talking. And uh, come to find out, my plan was to leave Alabama first thing Sunday morning, drive back uh, to Memphis. But Jared's flight didn't leave last Sunday until 6 p.m. And so Jared was asking, hey, is there anybody who can maybe take me around and show me Montgomery? I'd like to see it, if there's anything interesting to see there. And, of course, uh, the SPLC uh, headquarters. For well, example. I'll tell you all about that. But the uh, Brad Griffin, who lives about 45 minutes from Montgomery, uh, has Suburban the, the, Montgomery. He has the whole. Well, he actually lives out in Eufaula, which is about forty-five minutes outside. Of, it's it's its own little. It's not even a suburb. It's it's out there. But anyway, it's close enough. He can make it in less than an hour. So he knows the area very well. He said, "Jared, not only I think there's some things you'd want to see in Montgomery, and I'm so glad that I stayed because there were things that I saw that blew me away in the best possible way." But then he said, "Hey, if and if you have the time, it's only an hour from Montgomery to Selma. We can go see that." And that really perked. Jared up. Uh, he, he was like, I would really like to see really what it's like. And he goes, and I, and I might even consider uh, writing an illustrated feature for Amren.com or doing a video, which by the way, check it out, check it out. But uh, anyway, if, if, if there's, if there's a story there, he goes, but I don't, I, I want to see the full picture. If it's as bad as I believe it might be, that's what I'm going to report on. If it's better than what I think it might be, I'm going to report on that. Uh, anyway, so we'll get to that. So we said, okay, well, if y'all are going to do that, then I got to do it too. And I'll just drive back to Memphis on Monday. So I actually stayed an extra day and that's how that came about. That was born after last Saturday's show, which, again, if you missed last Saturday's show, I think it's well worth your time to go back and catch the full three hours. Just great, great radio. So we decided to stick around on Sunday and tour Montgomery and Selma. Now, we were staying in Wetumpka. So from Wetumpka to Montgomery, it is uh, about a 30-minute drive. And then from Montgomery to Selma, it's an hour. It's all relatively close together. So the first thing we did was we went bright and early on Sunday morning to downtown Montgomery where the state capitol is. Now, this is the state capitol where George Wallace had his... Jefferson Davis. Jefferson Davis. I'm going to mention that, too. Uh, but that part of downtown Montgomery, right around the state capitol area, those f few blocks in, in, a, in a radius, very nice. As you would expect a state capitol area. Just like area. Jackson, Mississippi, the same exact thing. I can't testify to what it's like in Montgomery if you, if you go a few miles down the road, but right around the state capitol, very nice. I mean, it, it looked like something you'd see in ancient Greece or Rome. Isn't that ironic? Because that's exactly the same way Jackson, Mississippi is. The only nice part of Jackson, Mississippi now are a couple of subdivisions in the downtown vicinity, Bellhaven is one of them, and the government complex. The rest of it has gone to hell in a handbasket. And the, it was abandoned, too, because it's Sunday. Listen, it, Sunday morning in the South, everybody's at church. So we were down there walking around the state capitol uh, building. 
And not only did we not see another person, we didn't see another car. And it was just, it was just, we had it all to ourselves. But the first thing we did is we went to the first White House of the Confederacy, which is right there. Now, everything that I'm telling you we did in Montgomery, I'll try to wrap this up real quick, and then I'll fast forward to the, the trip to Selma, which is what you're really going to want to hear about. Uh, but the, all of this that we saw in Montgomery is within two or three blocks in any direction. So we were able to walk to all of it. We parked at the Capitol, walked to all of this. Where's the SPLC headquarters? It's all right there. It's Listen, everything that I'm about to tell you we saw is within a couple of blocks in any direction, and we walked by all of it. But they have the first White House of the Confederacy is there, and I took a picture. Uh, we took a group picture there. Uh, this was d uh, the designated executive residence uh, by the Provisional Confederate Congress uh, in February 21st of 1861. Uh, Jefferson Davis lived there until the Capitol was moved to Richmond in the summer of 1861. So we got to see the first White House of the Confederacy. It was closed. It was a Sunday morning in Alabama, but we did get to take some pictures outside, and uh, and that was fun. And then from there, we walked just right over, just about a two-minute walk to the state Capitol. And right there at the front of the state Capitol, right where the governor and the state legislators and the state senators would go in, is a huge, and I mean a beautiful monument to President Jefferson Davis. I don't think a lot of people realize that. It is just right there, loud and proud. Uh, position of I'm prominence. surprised that the SPLC has allowed that to stand. Well, there's more than that, and it's and you can see the SPLC headquarters from uh, the uh, Alabama State Capitol, and there is a great description of Jefferson Davis there with the seal of the Confederacy. This is right at the front door where people would uh, be going into, and it lists. Jefferson Davis is a soldier, a scholar, a statesman, and obviously the president uh, of the uh, Confederacy. And then right behind his monument, right there as you enter into the Capitol building, is the gold star. It marks the exact spot where President Davis stood when he was sworn in as president of the Confederate States on February 18th, 1861. That is right there. And George Wallace, yes, Keith, George Wallace stood there as well uh, when he was sworn in famously as the governor of Alabama. But on another side of the state capitol in Alabama is one of the biggest and most impressive Confederate monuments in the world. This thing is so big you could live in it. This monument, the base of this Confederate monument is bigger than some of the houses we saw in Selma. So, so far so good, right, as we tour Montgomery. Uh, I'll tell you a few other things we saw in Montgomery, and in the next segment, I'm going to tell you what happened once we hit Selma. Oh, my friends, <laughs> my friends, words escaped me. It defied uh -oh. belief and parody. We'll words be right back. Failing. <laughs> they do. Hey there, TPC family. This is James Edwards, your host of The Political Cesspool. Folks, I want you to subscribe to the American Free Press, America's last real newspaper. Against all odds, AFP has and continues to publish a populist, independent print newspaper with an unparalleled track record. Founded by a dedicated group of experienced patriots, AFP pulls no punches and tackles the most controversial and pressing issues facing America from an America First perspective. I've worked with the American Free Press since even before the beginning of TPC. Now that's something. 
You can subscribe to the print edition by visiting AmericanFreePress.net today or simply pick up a handy digital edition subscription. However you do it, subscribe to the American Free Press, America's last real newspaper, by visiting AmericanFreePress.net or by calling 1-88-699-NEWS, AmericanFreePress.net. In Message 1, we said that Satan, the father of lies, John 8.44, gave the left evil, spiritual power, the more they used the lies. The political left today is the beast. Now, the Bible confirms that the dragon gave him, the beast, his power. Revelation 13.2 The extra evil spiritual power that comes from the beast by their lying is what accounts for the string of the leftist criminals in the government that have never yet been prosecuted. It also explains why American capitalists support communism in the 21st century. Note 1. That behavior of capitalists was predicted by Vladimir Lenin, a cell of the beast. Note 2. Henry Ford was a capitalist, and he would have never gone communist. The difference between Ford and the present-day, end-time capitalists is that Ford was born and educated in the Kingdom of Christ, 19th century America, the New Jerusalem, Revelation 21. So here we were, if you're listening live, last Saturday uh, we had a great show in Wetumpka, Alabama, and then on Sunday morning we decided to take a trip down to Selma via Montgomery. And so far so good right now. I wouldn't uh, advise you to take a sightseeing trip to Montgomery uh, on its own accord, but if you're in the area, there are definitely some things you want to check out. We saw the Confederate, uh, the first Confederate White House, the Gold Star where Jefferson Davis was sworn in later. Uh, George Wallace, wow. and then uh, this beautiful, impressive monument to Jefferson Davis, and then another one that was so big you couldn't even capture it all in, in, a, in a single photo. It was a monument to the Confederate States of America, its branches, the fallen soldiers, big as a house. And then right in front of the state capitol, you've got a procession marker which reads, this street was named to honor Andrew Dexter, one of the founders of Montgomery. This is Dexter Avenue. You might be thinking, Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, you got it. It's right there. But uh, the uh, monument reads, along this street moved the inaugural parade of Jefferson Davis when he took the oath of office as the president of the Confederate States of America. Dixie was played as a band arrangement for the first time at this location. So... All of that's just wonderful. And if you're in downtown Montgomery, be sure to check all of that out. Great photo ops. And it's so impressive that, that this uh, still exists on the state capitol grounds. So you, that's a, a one thing the media, always, they want you to think about the Confederate flag coming down in Columbia. There's a lot of monuments like this at state house grounds in Texas and Mississippi and elsewhere uh, to these Confederate heroes and soldiers. But then we started the civil rights portion of our tour, right? The so-called civil rights. So we left the capital area. Again, all of this, everything I'm telling you here in Montgomery is within a 10-minute walk of one another. Yes, the SPLC headquarters is about two blocks away. Uh, Martin Luther King's church is right there. Uh, he, Whatever he did there, he did there for yeah, about six yeah. or seven well, I, years. I think his actual church was in the Atlanta No, area. no, no, but listen, no, the, yes, that was one. Yes, he was born in Atlanta, and uh, presumably he did some sort of a 
That's where he kicked it all off. All right, but uh, here at the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, there's a uh, a plaque outside of it. And, and again, you can see this plaque from the plaque honoring Jefferson Davis. Uh, it says, the second black Baptist church in Montgomery. Many prominent black citizens of Montgomery have been members. Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. served as pastor from 1954 to 1960. So Montgomery bus boycott was organized here December 2nd, 1955. So that's all right there. Of course, of course, we are the one and only media outlet that has an interview with Drew Lackey, who eventually became the police chief, I believe, at Montgomery. Montgomery. But he was involved uh, very intimately in that arresting of Rosa Parks and everything like that. So, you know, well, we know all about the Montgomery bus boycott. And what a setup it was. Well, we do, and that was another, that was the next thing we saw. So we're we're leaving the Capitol. We're walking down Dexter Avenue. You're leaving the Capitol, which has this uh, these impressive monuments to Davis and to the Confederacy. Then you're walking down. You see this uh, uh, this piece of marble that marks where uh, the Davis inaugural procession was the Confederate White House, and then you mark down Dexter Avenue, and you get into some of the civil rights stuff, so-called civil rights stuff. There is a bus station that's been turned into a museum. That's the like the Freedom Riders Museum. Of course, it was closed, but you could see it. And then there's uh, about a block away from that, all within a very short walk, a Rosa Parks statue. And the first thing that I noticed about the Rosa Parks statue was how inauthentic it was. She's standing the statue is a picture. It depicts her standing. If there's one and thing, I, she's, and I doubt that it is of the quality of the Confederate statues that you see. I got a South. picture of it. Yeah. Well, look. I mean, it's it's it, a, it's like the one of Martin Luther King in Washington D.C. <laughs> it's not quite that bad, but it's uh, it, it's small. It's it's life size. So she's about five foot tall, and she's holding a purse with both hands. You got her glasses on, and she's smiling. She's right from Central Casting, they wanted to get some nice little frail, modest. A uh, non-boisterous black woman to be the face of the Montgomery boy, boycott, and that's bus boycott, and she was made to order for the task. At her feet are the names of the other actresses or the trained activists who came before her, but that didn't stick the landing. And, and so she was the one. I mean, there were some other ones, There's including a 15 the fifteen-year-old uh, that was girl, one of them. Claudette Collins. Her name's right there at the foot of the monument. And uh, it's just a very small, diminutive statue. But uh, nevertheless, uh, we went and we took a look at it. We were looking at everything. You know, we want to see everything. We want to be fair in our in our assessment and in our reporting. Well, here's where we're not even to sell me yet, and already you're getting a little bit of taste of it. So there's an enterprising black man who's sitting, kind of loitering around the statue, waiting for guilty white pilgrims to come and, and pay their respects. So, so he can shake them down. That's exactly right. And I deal with these people all the time. We live in Memphis. We see this all the time. They don't bother me. I always kind of laugh with them and, uh, and, and you know, just, have, hey, you know, I don't have any cash. Sorry. But uh, he, we were standing around the statue, me and Jared Taylor and Brad Griffin and John Friend of the American Free Press and John Hill. So that was our travel party. Okay. And we're all looking at the statue. And we're not mocking it. I mean, we're just there to see. I mean, we're not there to be offensive. Judgment. Yeah, we're just there. We, we want to see it all. We want to we see the good, the bad, and the ugly. And See so, what's there to be seen. And so we're standing by the Rosa Parks statue, and he asks if he can take our picture with the statue. And, you know, so we say, okay. And he takes one of our phones, and he takes a picture. And uh, we thought he was being, well, I think some of the people 
thought he was just being nice. But you have too much experience here in this house <laughs> I know, to know that. They always sing, give you a song and a dance. Uh, they always give you a story, and then they go in for the ask. And so he just said, hey, guys, you know, uh, do y'all, y'all want to have a picture taken? And, uh, you know, that really wasn't our intention, but he seemed eager and excited to take our picture. So we just said, sure. And then we just all gathered around, smiled with the Rosa Parks statue. You know, what else are we going to do? And then as soon as he took it, he said, uh, <laughs> you're going to think I'm making this up, Keith. Oh, I swear to you, God, strike me dead with a lightning bolt, Lord, if I'm exaggerating this one bit. As soon as he takes the picture, he he he, he asked Jared, he goes, hey, man, you, uh, can you help me get some fried chicken? Do you have any fried chicken? <laughs> <laughs> and Jared, says, Jared said, uh, you know, and Jared in that uh, aristocratic, hey, hey, aristocratic uh, bearing of his uh, uh, accent of his, uh, I'm sorry, are you asking if I have any fried chicken on me? And I said, no, I said, no Jared. <laughs> I said, no, Jared, he's asking if you'll give him money so he can go get some chicken. And, um, oh, I see, I see. And then, you know, unfortunately, I mean, it, it is true. It's a cashless society now. So even if we were inclined to give him a little money, and who knows, maybe I, I would have. Yeah, you weren't willing to turn over your debit card. <laughs> and he didn't take a Venmo or anything like that. So, uh, but he was at, you know, he, he, he was basically trading. Uh, definitely on a cash basis. If they try to go to a non-cash economy, you will see a mushroom cloud arise over places like Selma and Montgomery because everything is cash and carry there. That was the first taste we had, and that was our last stop in Montgomery. So that was just the tremor before touching down in Selma. And so uh, we honestly didn't have, at least to my knowledge, any any, any cash to give. So I... Um, you know, we, we, we had to tell him, no, sorry, can't, but thanks for the picture and nice talking to you. And, and he tried to give us a little little history. He was trying to, you know, tell us about who Rosa Parks were. That's his occupation, was. I guarantee you. Well, I mean, it, it, he's an unofficial tour guide. That's right. And he was not the last we saw that day. So we walked back to our cars, and then, and by God, it was hot. Oh, my God. Uh, I felt like a jungle uh, explorer. I mean, well, the, the we were, were actually a jungle explorer. No, uh, this was something. You just didn't know it. So we get into the car. And it's a caravan. We're in three or four different cars because everybody's taken off to go to different airports and drive back home to different directions. So we're all, but Jared and I are driving together. And I said, Jared, when we get to Selma, because he'd already told this to Brad Griffin the night before. He said, I want to see Selma. I want to see all of it, not just the parts that, you know, we think uh, might. The, the tourists are supposed to see. Well, just all of it. Uh, and if it's better or worse than what we expect, you know, I'm, I'm going to write about that fairly. And, I, and I, I reiterated that on the drive. I said, Jared, I want us to both be careful because I think I'll mention this on the program as well. I don't want us to have any confirmation bias. If, if I, Now, I had been to Selma the year before, actually, because I spoke at uh, Pat Godwin's annual Nathan Bedford Forest celebration uh, at Fort Dixie. Uh, but I did not tour Selma extensively. I did go through downtown. I did get out at the Edmund Pettus Bridge, but I didn't do what we did this week. Uh, I only saw a little bit of it, and I said, what I remember, Jared, was it's pretty rough. And this is coming from a guy that lives in Memphis. Selma's pretty rough, uh, but I, I didn't really dig into it. Uh, so we'll do it today, but let's, let's just uh, be in agreement that we'll let the truth be told, whatever it is. And uh, he, Good, said, yeah, bad, he, said, he said, yes, that's exactly what we've got to do. We've got to be sure that we just, whatever we see, we report honestly. So we always give, this is the thing about TPC, AMRIN, and our collective. We we're, we're, we, we're truth tellers. We give our, we give the opposite side a, a lot more honesty. Uh, we, we treat, well, the thing is, the 
bad side is often the honest side. Uh, well, it is what it is. And that doesn't get told. Yeah, but, but if we, we will tell the truth. And Selma had been polished up and... Uh, but uh, there'd been it, a renaissance there, we would report it. It wasn't. It, again, defies belief and parody, what I will tell you next. The atomic bomb will drop after these words <laughs> from our sponsor. Pursuing liberty, using the Constitution as our guide. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA News, I'm Corey Myers. The 45th president of the United States expected to be booked into the Fulton County, Georgia jail today. Donald Trump reiterated his plans to turn himself over on criminal charges, saying on his social media site yesterday that he's proudly surrendering this afternoon. He faces racketeering and a dozen other counts connected to interference in the 2020 Georgia election. All eight candidates in last night's GOP presidential debate are vowing to reverse Bidenomics in the U.S. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. We must reverse Bidenomics so that middle class families have a chance to succeed again. We cannot succeed as a country if you are working hard and you can't afford groceries, a car or a new home while Hunter Biden can make hundreds of thousands of dollars on lousy paintings. A man who opened fire on Pittsburgh police dead following an hours-long standoff and an extremely active shooting situation. The shooting started Wednesday morning after deputies tried to serve an eviction notice to a man in Pittsburgh's Garfield neighborhood. That incident turned into a barricade situation for several hours until the suspect was killed. The fate of the so-called Texas floating border wall is now in the hands of a federal judge. The system of buoys is being blasted by critics who call it a political stunt. The former head of Customs and Border Protection says this lawsuit brought by the Justice Department might be the tipping point in the fight between Texas and the federal government. China banning all seafood imports from Japan after Tokyo started releasing treated radioactive water into the Pacific Ocean. China says the seafood ban is to protect customers from what it called Japan's selfish and irresponsible act. This is USA News. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that is MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for health care can save many families up to 500 bucks a month, and that is huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The member satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works, too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, really, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with, you can call right now. You'll get a price within two minutes. So see what you can say. This is a very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. Call 833-34-BIBLE. That's 833-34-BIBLE. 833-34-BIBLE. Keith, what was that? 
Well, I can't. We already got it off. That's what, 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 what did they just hear a quick snippet from? The opening intro music for the classic monster movie Godzilla. And it did look like Godzilla had descended Visited, upon. Yeah, it looked like uh, uh, Godzilla had blown through Selma, Alabama. I, I, and listen, folks, I'm not trying to make light of this or joke around about it. Uh, I, I, I think it's 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 a terrible thing. It's terrible that that would happen to any city, and certainly I wouldn't want to live that way. And it's I don't get any enjoyment from seeing other people uh, live that way, no matter who they are. But if you're if you're going into Selma from Montgomery, you're gonna be you're gonna be taking Edmund Pettus Bridge. You're going to either be taking uh, Highway 80 or Highway 14. There's two ways. The Alabama River uh, splits the difference. And uh, as you're coming into Selma from Montgomery, right before you get to the Edmund Pettus Bridge, you will find the National Voting Rights Museum and Institute. And then you cross over the bridge, and then you're in downtown Selma. But on the other side of the bridge the side you come into as you're going towards Selma from Montgomery, there's just, there's nothing, there's fields, there's nothing, and then there's this museum, and then you go into downtown Selma. Well, this museum, we stopped because they have the, this museum, and then they also have a park on the other side of the highway uh, that's sort of like, the, it's called the Civil Rights Memorial Park. And... The artwork there is all graffiti. It's all spray paint, uh, as you might expect, and uh, pretty pretty tacky too. Uh, but the museum, Keith, I, can you see this? I mean, just try to describe this in your own words. What you're seeing, just looking at the picture, you're seeing urban blight. That's what you're seeing. Okay, oh. this is some little metal building, nondescript metal building. Might as well be some you know place selling discount carpeting or something. And that's and doesn't even have a good driveway around it or a uh, just pavement. weeds and, and pebbles. And, but then that's not it. Do you, do, what do you notice about one of the windows? It's been busted out. It's plywood. Okay? <laughs> Get closer to the mic. So it's plywood. It's plywood. It's, it's busted out window. It looks plywood. Like, it, it's, it, this is par for the course. But it looks like it hasn't been in operation since 1965. Um, uh, and and this, quite frankly, is what happens in any southern town when you run all the white people. But out. listen, this thing was in operation. It wasn't open, but this is in its natural condition uh, with with busted out windows, weeds everywhere. Now, what is this? Is this some? Uh, it's the National some, Voting Rights Museum. Oh my gosh! Uh, hey, look, they, they can't <laughs> even keep up. But listen, things that they're getting listen, money from out of town for. And then they've got all of this tacky graffiti on the side. It says. Uh, Hands that pick cotton pick the president, and it's got the timeline of Black history. It has it has. That's a, why it, we have the president we have now. It has a black pharaoh, and then it has black slaves, and then it has Barack Obama. So that's yeah, pretty and much. Then, then some decrees says we with Kangs K A N G Z, and then it has some black Vietnam veterans. But that that's pretty much it. I mean, their entire history started in 1965, and it revolves around slavery and civil rights. All of their heroes are civil rights people. Uh, which is to say, I mean, again, Rosa Parks did nothing but sit down. This is one thing you don't know about Rosa Parks is that she did nothing after that. She laid in state. She received this lifelong celebrity and adulation from the establishment, from the system. She sat down knowing that her lawyers were ready to Fire jump on out. the scene, that the entire federal government and national media were behind her, that she couldn't lose. 
She wasn't going to be roughed up by people like good uh, Drew Lackey, but she didn't do anything after that. She wasn't involved in the calls afterwards. She'd sat down for about five minutes, and that was it. But well, I mean, that's it was, because, this is that's because she was from Central County. She went. She was went with Martin Luther King. I don't know if they went at the same time, but she went to the Highlander Folk School. Yeah, which before was like before the thing. Paris Island for all, all of right. the civil rights workers and whatnot. She was the head of the Montgomery chapter of the NAACP. But when the NAACP started getting money and became a thing, right. she was moved I, I got, out and someone else took over. This National Voting Rights Museum, though, which you hit right before you hit the, the famous bridge, uh, the Edmund Pettus Bridge, and then you get into downtown Selma, it, um, it's a privately run enterprise, okay? So it's not a public museum. It's a, it's a privately run museum, again, by some of these black entrepreneurs uh, who... But listen to some of the reviews online, okay? All right, so you, I've already described what it looked like. When we arrived for our literally once-in-a-lifetime visit to Selma, now imagine this. These are white people. Imagine being a white pilgrim who's planning trips to come and bask in the glow and in the guilt of, of these things. to be things. disappointed if you are. <laughs> <laughs> we wanted to go to the National Voting Rights Museum. But when we arrived, it was locked up and no one was there. There was a sign on the front door that said, by appointment only. Really? Uh, a museum such as this by appointment only? Anyway, I thought I could, uh, I thought that there was perhaps someone I could call that would let us in, but there was not a, a phone number at the door. I found the museum number on the website, but just got an answer machine when I called. This was all pretty frustrating and disappointing. So basically what happens here at this museum, and we were able to look in through the windows, and uh, it's, you call the whoever is the proprietor, and he charges $100 to show up and let you in, and then you got to pay admission. All right. So, uh, and another review said a bit disappointing. The displays are mostly text, just a few photos. The facility is dated and dull. That's an understatement. I thought I was going to have to go to the doctor and get a tetanus shot from just looking at it. <laughs> uh, but then here's another one. While it is stated that the museum is, is closed on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, arrangements can be made to visit. Unfortunately, nobody answers the calls. Uh, this is very unprofessional and inconsiderate of the management who has to realize that people come from all over the world to visit Selma just to find that the museum is closed and no one's there to provide them with the right information. And Typical black incompetence. <laughs> Anything run by black people in the South, unfortunately, in a place like Selma, you're going to have this. Listen to if this, it's but, not backed up with tons of money from white people, this is what you get. One reviewer says he actually did get somebody to answer the phone. I guess they come to work if they feel like it or if they're not hungover or something. They, the, the unfriendly executive director, these are all public reviews on the travel website. The unfriendly director informed me it would be $100 plus the cost of admission. I said I was disappointed to not be able to visit. Uh, I consider this to be price gouging. Well, on the other side of where this museum is, is Civil Rights Park or whatever, and just describe this. This is sort of like the big feature. Six that's flags there. over civil rights. Look, <laughs> what do you have here? Uh, tell them this is this is sort of like the main feature in the plaza that greets the tourists. It looks like a uh, hearth, like an old-fashioned uh, fireplace with two poles sticking up and a mural that has some pictures of black folks on it. And it is. Uh, what do you notice about the lanterns at the top? What do you notice about one of them especially? 
Uh, it's broken. <laughs> it's just completely knocked over, and you can't even read the signage because moisture had gotten into the sign, and it made all the words illegible. And then there's just some other very tacky uh, graffiti there, and that's the the Civil Rights You're Memorial gonna Park. You're going to feature all this uh, with an article, aren't you? On the uh, Jared is doing it. Jared, at, at, check it out at Amran.com. It, it will uh, be. Uh, believe me, we will link to it. But it is, uh, you know, this is worthy of a full article. Uh, and he is doing it. And then, okay, so we went over the famous bridge where Maybe even a small book, so-called Bloody Sunday, was at. Now we're in downtown Selma. We're on the other side of the river. We're in downtown Selma, the real town of Selma. And then you you were greeted by the ancient Africa enslavement museum, and it's got a picture of some black pharaohs again. Uh, that's apocryphal, but there they are. And were they the enslavers? You see, <laughs> yes. I don't know what's going on. You see some black Civil War troops. Um, I guess for the Union, but with the way the SCV tells the story now, who knows? Uh, and then uh, here was the thing about that. Let's skip the break this segment, um, if you don't mind, uh, Mrs. Producer, so we can stick with this. We'll skip this break. And as soon as we got out at downtown Selma on the other side of the bridge, so on the one side of the bridge, you got that so-called civil uh, voting rights in, uh, museum. It looks like Godzilla had blown through town, right? And then you're on the other side and you're greeted by another museum, the Ancient Africa Enslavement Museum. And its windows were also broken out. And you could actually, I'm telling you this, when you park there, and it's right on the riverfront, everything completely dilapidated and in varying states of decay. There was so much mold on the Voting Rights Institute, I might add, that the mold actually looked like barnacles on the awning, on the awning that you entered. You, you could develop asthma just by looking at it. <laughs> but so we're at the, the the Enslavement Museum now, and it's a, it, windows broken out, et cetera. Everything's some sort of a spray paint type mural, and uh, it's closed. I don't even know if it opens at all, uh, whether you call and pay a guy $100 to show up or not. It didn't seem to be. Uh, something that was functional. But as soon as you got out and parked, the entire downtown smelled like raw sewage. And I'm like, my God, what is this? Uh, it, it was bad. I mean, you had to put your, your nose in your, in your shirt. <laughs> and, and I was like, you know, come, what, what is this? And right in front of the black or the ancient African enslavement museum, as they call it, they have the fountain of African wisdom. And it says, drink from the fountain of African wisdom and be I renewed. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't recommend that. Now, this thing looks like a Halloween prop, something you'd see at a haunted house. <clears throat> it's, it's, got a, it's a three-tiered. It looks like it's made of concrete, but it's, it's not concrete. It's a three-tiered thing. Well, once again, we'll let Keith uh, describe in his own words with that excellent vocabulary of his that far exceeds mine uh, what he's seeing here as he looks uh, outside of the uh, positioned right outside of the ancient African enslavement museum is the fount of black wisdom. What do you see? Well, it looks like somebody's backyard fountain uh, that is not working, and it's got some uh, hoses or something sticking on there. It's very unprepossessing. Okay, it is not. It does not look like what you would expect at a major civil rights uh, monument. <laughs> so okay? the hose, the hose that is supposed to take the water from the base and then deposit it, recycle it, re deposit it at the top, and then it cascades over each of the three it, different tiers. It's just completely it does not work. It's in every direction. It's just laying all over the place. If you tried to drink water from this, you would probably get dysentery. <laughs> <laughs> there was about 
three inches of water at the very base of this thing, and it was black, and that was the source of the stench. It absolutely stunk up a full city block of downtown like I said, Selma. Don't drink the water. And these are things. Look, this, it isn't like we just went to like some abandoned facility and, and looked for you stuff. Went to every place that they. These had. are the tourist attractions. These are imagine what the non-tourist attractions. I'll look tell like. you. I'll tell you. And so, anyway, this is Selma putting its best foot forward. Yeah, this is the stuff people. Well, as you said, heard in the reviews, this is the stuff that people these these self-hating whites that want to go on a pilgrimage to Selma, this is what they come to see. I hope they all go down there. I hope Colin Kaepernick's parents, all these self-hating whites come down Sean there. Sean and Leanne Tui, this is it. Yeah, let Sean and Leanne Tui relocate to Selma, Alabama. All right, but here, so here again, I told you at the Rosa Parks statue in downtown Montgomery, which looked like absolute heaven compared to Selma, you had the guy waiting to take a picture and then ask you for a couple of bucks. Well, here we are. We're standing around. We're looking at the Fountain of Black Wisdom. And here comes a, a black guy, very energetic, very friendly, very friendly. But he, he's waving us. Hey, guys, come over here. Come uh, over uh, here. Another panhandle, another well, unofficial tour guide. Well, here it is. And so he says, hey, are y'all here for the history? And, yeah, we're here for the history. We're just here to see, we're just here to see Selma. And uh, he goes, oh, I'm so glad y'all are here. It's, it's really important that we keep this history alive. Uh, my Uncle Willie... Uh, was on the bridge that day, and uh, he he got hit in the head, but he didn't get infected with the hate. Now, that's a key to the civil rights thing. Everything probably, has to probably rhyme. Probably broke the billy club. <laughs> well, well, I was putting, thinking putting, putting a brain like his in the skull up well, there is uh, like putting a brass quarter in. Uh, hold knots. on, see now you're trying to make jokes. I'm trying to do this straight up. I, I don't want to make fun of these people. I, I want to just tell you tell you straight up. But I, it did cross my mind. Well, was Uncle Willie one of the ones that was? Throwing uh, bricks and feces and urine at the cops before he got cracked, or you know, or did he? Did that even really happen? But nevertheless, Uncle, but this was a key to the civil rights movement. Everything had to rhyme or be put in a song, and so you know, he, head. A la Jesse Jackson. So he's talking about all of this, and then he said, you know, I learned a lot from Uncle Willie. Uh, he he told me that we're all ninety nine point nine percent the same, and I. Again, folks, God strike me dead if he didn't say this word for word. Uncle Willie told me we all bleed red, and I was like, "Yep, you know that, that that's something. Uh, that's something to think about." Did you burst into tears? No, I just well, I, we were just talking, and then uh, uh, he just said, uh, "And there was an old man under a tent by the bridge. It just it, there was a tent because it was hot as hell. I mean, it was bad. So I don't blame him for having a little tent, but just right at." The side of the bridge was an old man, and like pres troll. presumably it was probably Uncle Willie. I, I don't know that for sure, but I think you could pay an admission and go talk to this old black man who could tell you even more. And he was trying to get us over there to his his tent where he was he was selling some stuff. And he said, uh, "Hey guys, you know I know y'all are here to learn about the history, and I've got some good material over here. And uh, you know it's just a small, uh, just asking for a small donation and all of this." And I was like, "Well, you know," and I, I'm always like a hundred dollars, maybe always polite to these people. I, they don't bother me. I mean, they just it is what it is. It, it, look, you're used to it. I, yeah, I, I was talking to him in in, in a good, friendly nature. I you know I did, I don't know how people who oppose us pretend we act around non-wise but we always treat them with respect even if it's a hustle and we were getting hustled i mean there's no doubt about it but i just said you know look i really appreciate that black entrepreneurship i'd like to hear what you have to say but i got to get back to memphis pretty soon we're just kind of blitzing through town and it's hot and uh, i don't want to you know but i really appreciate it you know so on and so forth you know that, that's pretty Very much nice it. and polite but you weren't parting with no anybody. i wasn't going to go over there but i tell you the guy that was sitting by the bridge is pictured 
you know, every year they parachute into Selma, the, yeah. the, whoever the president is, Oprah Winfrey, a few celebrities, and they walk across the bridge on the anniversary. Every year they've done it for 50 years. And this guy probably collects money from each one of them. Well, the guy that was sitting under the tent is this guy right here. Look at this right here. You see him holding Biden's hand. This was in March of this year. That oh was the guy that was sitting on the bridge. I think that that's Uncle Willie. I don't know for sure, but it was definitely a guy who was there because this guy looks like he's about 80 or 90 years old. It looks like he's about four foot ten. Well, that's just because he's you know hunched over because of the age. And, 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 uh, but I, I'm, but he does look smarter than Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> but he was there, and I think you could go and pay uh, from him and just sort of bask in his uh, luminescence. Uh, it, it, but white people do that. They pay to be made to feel bad about themselves uh, and, and, and of their ancestors. He, he this probably white has guilt. a, uh, you know, a, a cat of nine tails that you can beat yourself, you know, and rend your garments uh, like in the Old Testament or something. <laughs> Uh, well, remember there were whites some years ago that were paying blacks to put them in chains and like treat them like slaves. You remember that? I remember those pictures. Uh, said, "I'm so sorry." Yeah, man. that's right. And it's like a white father and his son. He's taking his yeah. son to do anyway. So there we are at the base of the famous Edmund Pettus Bridge. This is the main thing. I mean, you know, any downtown area, their best area is going to be downtown riverfront, whether it's Memphis or Louisville or any of these river cities. Put your best foot forward. That Everything was closed, broken down. Stinky and, and maybe dangerous. And you know why? Because they have managed to run all of the white people out of Selma. No white people live there. It's almost like Mountain Bayou, Mississippi. There may be one or two, uh, uh, you know, poor lost souls who are white that still live there. But I don't think so. See, if you go to a southern city that is majority minority or anywhere, look at Detroit. Look at Jackson, Mississippi. Look at Montgomery, Alabama. Look at all of these places. Basically, if there's anything nice there, it's the white area of town. The black area of town is wretched. Uh, look what's happened to uh, Detroit, Michigan. They've managed to basically, it's like over 80% black, and it is a wasteland. It has, you know, buildings falling in on themselves. Uh, it's just terrible on the other hand memphis still has 35 percent white and it has some nice areas but because of what happens in an all-black city like or virtually all-black city like detroit memphis is now the largest majority minority city in america why because detroit which was much larger at one time has had so many people flee the place you know if you kill the dog all the uh, fleas will die okay well, that's what's happened in uh, Detroit. Uh, the fleas have left, and as a result of that, it has lost its status right. so, as the number one uh, majority minority city in America. I, I am describing to you the downtown riverfront area of Selma, and it goes on and on like this for a couple of blocks in either direction. There was one functioning hotel that looked like something you would have found on Bourbon Street or in the French Quarter. I didn't go in it, but it, it, it was the only building that looked like it wasn't just totally neglected. And everything else, I, I'm just talking about boarded up. I, I tell you what, if you owned a tarp-making business in Selma. You could clean up. 10% of the houses, the roofs were tarps. I, I, I've never seen so many. That blue vinyl yes, that they stretch yes, across. Yes, I've never seen so many tarps. And... This was the downtown riverfront area, so then we started to get into interior Selma. Now, Selma's pretty small. I mean, it's not very big, so it doesn't take much to see it. But it was just 
completely and utterly blighted. Uh, uh, parts. And, and you know all these people are getting uh, financial aid from the federal government. They're getting welfare. They're getting uh, AFDC, all sorts of things to live on. And they still can't keep it their is, homes in nominal repair. You know, just, you know, put a roof on the darn thing. Uh, it's a ruined, it. a ruined city, a ruined city. And I, I would ask this of all of the self-aiding whites or the virtue signaling whites who, again, very eagerly from their mostly white Rich suburbs up in the great talk, white north talk in about, Canada or up in New England or something. Talk right? about or yeah, but, but, wait, even here in the South, they, they talk about how much they they want more diversity and diversity is our strength. But they say this from their gated communities. Here's what they can do: they like can the they can sell the Tuies. This would be a great thing for the Tuies to do. They can sell their multi million dollar house in Memphis, and I, I would encourage you to do a little homework, ladies and gentlemen, because I've done it. Go to Zillow.com and type in homes for sale, Selma, Alabama. The median price for a home in Selma is about $60,000. Uh, I saw some houses for $10,000. Even at $60,000, that's pretty much the price of a midsize car now. I mean, you know, if you get like exactly. an SUV. So, I mean, you could, you could, electric car, you could pay cash and have hundreds of thousand dollars of equity in your bank account, liquid, pay cash for a house, pay five, uh, a, a, a five-digit figure for a, a home in Selma, and have all of the diversity for free. That's a, why aren't they jumping at the opportunity, Keith? This is this is perfect. They they get have all the cash. They get diversity. They have a free housing. Because white liberals are massive hypocrites. They know they're lying, and the reason you know they're lying is because they don't do what James just suggested. If they truly thought that diversity and multiculturalism were our greatest strength, they would be moving. To places like Selma, Alabama, you could live there for a song. I mean, I could even afford to pay ten thousand dollars for a house in you, Selma. You could pay ten thousand for the house. You could pay another twenty thousand. You'd have maybe, to finance and fix it. it up. Well, you'd have to pay and, about a hundred thousand. No, you got to see these houses, Keith. I mean, it's going to take more of that. But oh, but that's another thing. The, the, this residence that was supposedly the first draft of the Voting Rights Act was written on the. Living room floor of this residence that's in in Selma, and it's, it's probably with a crayon, a couple of blocks from from the bridge. Probably just mytho civil rights mythology is so much of it is, but nevertheless, it was supposed to have been written in this house. So it's it's, and and this house, uh, has a little sign in the yard saying this was the house where so on and so and so on met and 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 did all of this, and this house is. Is is completely caved in, and they said, "Well, they, they, they commissioned a restoration project in the summer of 2022, and here we are now, near the fall of 2023, and nothing's happened yet." Well, I'll and, tell you what it was. I'll tell you why. There was garbage, hubcaps, tires, fast food wrapping. I saw a pair of goggles, swim goggles, toilet paper, just all strewn well, over let, the. Let, yard. Let's explore this just a moment. Well, we got about a minute. It says that it, it was going to be. Um, refurbished i imagine they hired a black company to do it and nothing got done they got the money and whoop it, it all disappeared it's gone they haven't driven the first again i'm trying to stick to the they, facts they, they haven't uh pulled the first nail they haven't driven the first nail they haven't put the first shingle up on the roof none of this brings me joy folks i wish it wasn't this way believe me i am telling you the truth i it's wish the way things happen i though. wish that there you were need to know it i wish that there were no differences i wish that 
race really was a social construct. I really wish uh, that the only difference in, in people were skin pigmentation. If or you lack want thereof, to be disabused of that notion that race is just a social construct, go to Selma, go to Jackson, Mississippi, go to Detroit, Michigan, Go to Gary, Indiana. Go to East St. Louis, These are the Illinois. cities, or Jackson. Yeah, these are cities where they predominate. And I'm telling you, whatever you consider a racist to be, whatever you, 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 you hear the word racist, it, there's no way, whatever a racist is, if a person's intention was to make another group of people look bad, they could not exaggerate the truth that, to such an extent that the it would Ku fit Klux the reality. Klan, the Ku Klux Klan could not have outdone the black I don't, people of And I don't want to see people living like that. But this is how they're living, and we didn't have anything to do with it because we were driven off a long, long time ago. There's one other thing in Selma we saw that was nice. In the middle of Selma, in the middle of all of this, right outside of town is the Live Oak Cemetery. And Pat Godwin maintains the Confederate Memorial Circle there. A lot of our heroes buried there. She keeps it clean. She, that is the only that, that, nice that part. A, the only nice part I saw in Selma was the Confederate Cemetery. Well, the last battle fought by General Nathan Bedford Forrest was the Battle of Selma, Alabama. The only one he lost. And the reason he lost it was his courier, who had the battle plans in his boot, was captured by the Union of Army. That was like a week a week before Appomattox. So it was. Uh, so basically, you know, this is <laughs> that was the high point of Selma, apparently. Check. Brad Griffin has put up uh, an article on Occidental Descent detailing our time there. It's called uh, "The Bridge to Nowhere." You go back a couple of days, you'll find it. Jared Taylor uh, got something uh, for Amrin. Uh, learn more, folks, and uh, we'll be back. Right, right, yeah, the truth hurts, and let me tell you, there's nothing we can make up that is worse than the truth about Selma. All right, we will be right back. Stay tuned. Our featured guest of the evening coming up in our third and final hour. Hill is proud to announce the release of a new translation, Leon de Grel in Exile, by Jose Luis Jerez Reisco. Readers of The Burning Souls will already be familiar with de Grel's life before and during the Second World War, his service on the Eastern Front, and his involuntary post-war exile in Franco, Spain. This new work tells the story of his life in exile in detail, replete with first-hand accounts from Spanish nationalists and friends of de Grel. During his time in Spain, de Grel did not wallow in sadness. Despite the atrocities inflicted upon him and his family by the victorious Allied powers, he stayed remarkably active in European nationalist politics and left a lasting impression on both his personal friends and those from around the European world who took inspiration from his tenacious idealism. De Grel's enduring legacy in Spain is well-deserved. Such a legacy also deserves to be spread to both sides of the Atlantic and beyond. Antelope Hill is proud to be the first to bring this unparalleled biography to the English reader, Get Leon DeGrell in exile today at antelopehillpublishing.com. You're listening to Resolution Radio. Radio. ResolutionRDO.com. Listen. 
Do you hear that sound? It started low, but it's getting progressively louder. Into a crescendo, even louder. Irresistible, ending in an ear-splitting blast of mass disruption. That's the sound of America's economic and political systems crashing to the ground. But we have a plan. We will be ready to restore political sanity. We will be ready to answer the call of productive America. We will restore America's industrial base and put America back to work. We will shut down political correctness and restore decency and positive media to America. We will save our constitution, our traditional way of life, our customs, and religion. We will restore sound money and crush the debt-based system of monetary slavery. And we will end America's foreign misadventures. We are the American Freedom Party, and we have a plan. Learn more about us, theamericanfreedomparty.us. You're listening to the Political Cess Pool on ResolutionRDO.com. Call and listen now at 607-203-5423. That's 607-203-5423. You've made a serious investment in protecting yourself and your family. You've purchased the gun, the ammunition, the training, and even secured a license to carry in your state. You know the Constitution and don't believe you should have to pay for a right that you already have, as written in the Second Amendment, but you are law-abiding. Now you are considering the legal defense options you should have if you ever have to use a firearm. Self-Defense Fund is a comprehensive litigation membership backing you on appeals, legal expenses, court costs, and more, up to $1 million per incident and unlimited attorney costs per member. Discover SelfDefenseFund.com for yourself. Any weapon, any state, any time. Herbs have been used by people since the dawn of time. When Rockefeller introduced allopathic medicine, many herbal remedies fell by the wayside as people put their faith in prescription pills and the world just gets sicker. Here at Heathen Herbs, we look to the past and to nature for answers. We offer tinctures, magnesium skin cream, lip balm, tooth powder, colloidal silver throat spray, and more. Check us out at HeathenHerbs.com. You're listening to the Liberty News Radio Network, and this is the Political Cesspool. The Political Cesspool, known across the South and worldwide as the South's foremost populist conservative radio program. And here to guide you through the murky waters of the political cesspool is your host, James Edwards. Back at the studio this Saturday evening, August the 26th, for the first time in three weeks after back-to-back remote broadcasts on the road. And uh, we are now turning the corner and entering into that time where we bring on our featured guest of the night. And tonight it is none other than Dr. Greg Johnson, always a very interesting and insightful interview. Uh, Greg is the editor-in-chief of CounterCurrents, uh, one of the most preeminent webzines we have on our side. The work there being done is absolutely top shelf, counter-currents.com. And Dr. Johnson's back to uh, detail the findings of two recent polls commissioned by his new venture, the Homeland Institute. So we're going to learn a little bit more about the Homeland Institute and its findings. But first, we're going to say hello to Greg Johnson. Greg, how are you tonight? I'm fine. It's great to be back on the show. It's great to have you back, and I understand that we have an additional partner as well. 
Yes, I, I want to bring on David Zuddy. David is the executive director of the Homeland Institute, and we're going to talk a bit about the Institute itself. I'll, I'll sort of fill in the background of uh, how it came about and what its purpose is. And also, we, uh, we recently published the results of our first poll. The second poll hasn't been done yet, so we're just going to talk about one poll. Uh, that article is now available. It's available at homelandinstitute.org. It's also available at Countercurrents uh, if people want to take a look at it. And I hope people will share it all over the web because there's some really interesting results in there. So where do we want to begin, uh, Greg and David? And first, let's say hello to David. David, it's great to have you tonight uh, and to make your acquaintance uh, here on the air, at least, and look forward to making it in person soon as well. How are you? I'm outstanding. It's great to be on. I'm quite honored to be here. I'm David Zuddy. I'm the executive director of the Homeland Institute, and the first poll is exciting. We have more coming. It's a work in progress, but it's extremely insightful, very fun. Along with our website that you mentioned, we also have a Gab account. We also have a, twi a Twitter or X account and a Telegram account. They're doing work our worthy Twitter of support. Is, yeah, go on, David, you. please. Yes, our Twitter account is at HomelandINSP, and our Telegram account is the Homeland Institute. David, this is Keith Alexander. Tell us what the Homeland Institute is all about. What are you accomplishing or what are you seeking to accomplish? Right now we're trying to combat the negative effects of multiculturalism and globalism. This is bad for everybody. There need to be good solutions. And we want the whole point of our, of our organization is that we want to go beyond simply complaining about things and try to find positive solutions that are humane, pragmatic, workable, palatable, instead of just complaining about them. And polls are a great way to do that, do that. First off, a huge problem is that a lot of the mainstream polls are biased or they're sloppy. I've learned that sometimes some polls are not even conducted in the areas that they're supposed to pertain to, which I, I think is just shocking and really shows how the mainstream establishment can't be trusted to do much of anything. So we're going to have to do it, and we're going to do it better than they do it. And two, I... I think polls are important to finding humane solutions because we can show that policies which might be considered radical by the establishment or simply disliked by them are actually very popular and therefore very feasible. Greg, when but more you and I want to show, want to, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, pardon the interruption. I, I was just going to say to Greg um, how I want this interview uh, to go over the course of the next uh, couple of segments. It's going to be a little bit of a departure from our standard template because I was very interested and fascinated, really, uh, Greg, when we were emailing earlier in the week and sort of ironing out some of the things that you would be addressing because uh, I, I think there have been just so many different polls that have been interesting from our points of view going back to the dawn of the, the Biden administration in January of 2021. Uh, some of these polls I cited during the wonderful opportunity you gave me last fall to address the countercurrents gathering, and some uh, also in my American Renaissance speech a couple of weeks ago. But um, I, the fact that y'all are commissioning polls, I, I would love to know a little bit more about the nuts and bolts, the nuts and bolts about how that uh, goes and how it compares to the findings that uh, we've been citing with regards to some of our issues that the system polling. Uh, apparatuses yeah. ginning out. Yeah, well, I, I've been very encouraged by a lot of polls showing, for instance, that the idea of the Great Replacement is being increasingly widely accepted by white Americans, uh, Republican voters especially. Things like that are, are quite interesting, but leftist organizations love to 
talk about this because, of course, it raises the alarm in their uh, donor base, and uh, they think it provides the, a case for um, more deplatforming and censorship and things like that. Uh, but these polls are actually very useful, but a lot of the questions uh, are not formulated in quite the way that I would formulate them. And so uh, eventually I thought, you know, maybe – I could actually start doing polling. Uh, instead of wishing that other people would do better polls, maybe I could just do them. And so uh, a couple of years ago, there was a poll that was done by American Renaissance, which I thought was very promising. And I decided to go forward and uh, actually explore how to create my own polls. So the, uh, the Homeland Institute came about uh, basically as a platform for doing that and other what you can call policy studies uh, and commentary. Uh, it, we decided to go to work on this in 2000 and 2021. Uh, it was in October of 2021. And I began working on it then. Uh, I put together a team of people. We hired a consultant on how to create a uh, 501c3 tax-exempt corporation in the United States, and we set to work on it. And about exactly a year later, we got approved by the IRS. So this worked out quite nicely. That certainly uh, is up. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. anyway. And uh, so we, we're now a fully approved 501c3, uh, which means uh, you can deduct from your federal income taxes any donations that go to uh, Homeland Institute. Uh, we decided, though, that like a lot of institutions uh, in our sphere, uh, we had to start small uh, because we didn't start out with a lot of capital. But I'm experienced in putting together organizations on a shoestring budget. I did it with countercurrents. And so we got Homeland started. And the first thing that we could afford to do was a poll. Uh, and there are various uh, – there, well, there are many, many choices for doing polling, all kinds of different uh, polling options. I don't want to mention exactly where we went because I don't want these people to get visited or uh, bombarded doxed. by uh, doxed. You know, uh, they, I don't want them to experience the terror. Uh, but there are many, many options for doing this. Uh, sometimes it can be extremely uh, economical. It turns out we came in well under budget on this poll. And... Uh, we want to do these once a month. David was saying, "Hell, let's let's do them twice a month." Uh, he's he's really into this. He's he's very much enjoying this process now. Uh, we have a fellow who's uh, consulting with us, who's a professional pollster. Uh, he's walked us through the process, and uh, we're getting up and running at it, and we're getting good at it, especially David. Uh, and so this is um, this is very exciting, uh, and. Uh, you know, anybody can do it, I suppose. But that's like saying any any little boy can grow up to be president. When you actually, <laughs> I want to find out. I want to find out the science that is behind uh, political polling and cultural polling, and I can't wait to hear more about it. As I said, we're going to do this interview a little bit different, and I'll tell you how it's going to go with Greg Johnson and Looking David. Looking for Zetti an IT partner that truly understands your needs, Managed IT Services is the answer. We meet with you regularly to discuss your goals and form a tailored technology plan. Our customers have called us a trusted advisor who delivers. When it comes to IT, we do it all. Firewalls, cloud storage, server migration, and more. Say goodbye to long-term contracts and hello to a team that earns your business month after month. Call 801 6980 now and let managed IT services transform your IT experience.
Have you ever had great honey? No, I mean really good, all-natural, raw honey? Well, now you can, thanks to LocalHoneyMan.com. We can ship out our locally made honey all across the U.S. So don't worry, you won't miss out. Plus, Local Honey Man has so many different flavors, like Utah Wildflower, High Desert Delight, Happy Valley, and Blackberry, just to name a few. So purchase your delicious raw honey today at LocalHoneyMan.com. Find your inner rebel at Dixie Republic, the world's largest Confederate store, located in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. The anti-white, anti-Christ, anti-Southern world ends at the asphalt. Welcome to God's country. Log on to DixieRepublic.com to view our Southern merchandise, from flags to t-shirts to artwork. At the store, browse through our extensive collection of belt buckles and have a custom-made leather belt handcrafted in our Johnny Rebs gun and leather shop. That's DixieRepublic.com, where you can meet all of your Southern needs. While you're waiting, drop by our Confederate corner for a free cup of coffee and good conversation. Remember, there are no strangers here, just friends who haven't met yet. Dixie Republic, we're not just a roadside attraction, we're a destination for our people. For more information, visit DixieRepublic.com. Welcome back. Uh, joining us uh, this evening, Greg Johnson and uh, David Zudi from uh, really a hybrid entity, uh, both of Countercurrents and the Homeland Institute, which is uh, an, uh, an adjacent project, I guess you could say. It's separate. Uh, uh, but a, a new polling uh, well, it's facility. Well, more it's more than that, but that, that's part of what they do. And uh, since we have two, uh, this is rare to have two people from uh, the same entity on at the same time, and I'm fascinated by polling. I, we cite a lot of we've been talking a lot about polling the last few years, and uh, whether or not people uh, are moving in our direction as as much as we think they are. So, what we're going to do, Keith, I'm going to let you get this question in, and then what I would like you to do, uh, Greg and David, is to sort of just take over this segment, which will take us to the half hour point of this uh, of this uh, hour. And and just sort of talk with one another, Greg. You bring David on, and y'all just uh, sort of share the spotlight and telling us again what's going on how these polls are put together and uh, what the findings have been and if those findings match what we we're seeing out of system polling but first keith i was going to say i think it's high time that we started having some right-wing polling organizations because we're totally captive to what we're told by the left regarding polling uh and i'm Wishing you all the success in the world. Have you gotten on the radar of the left yet, and have they tried to take you uh, uh, off or tried to hamper you in any way? Well, certainly Greg lives on that radar, but go ahead, gentlemen. Well, not yet. We just went live last week. The website went up last week. Uh, because we are a 501c3 tax-exempt educational organization, we can't be partisan in the sense uh, that uh, a lot of a lot of people would like, I suppose, we can't be partisan. We can't endorse candidates. Uh, we have to be careful about talking about legislation and things like that. Um, so, so that being said, uh, but l l put it this way: what we are is we are an org, a, a think tank, a policy institute that has not signed on to the idea that there can never be too much globalization and multiculturalism. Obviously, that's an insane dogma. 
that they all share to one extent or another. Even you know, the Cato Institute or um, the Heritage Foundation will not challenge globalization, multiculturalism, uh, free movements of peoples and things like that, uh, immigration. They won't, they won't do that. That's why Trump was so revolutionary, because he challenged these things. And this is why the political establishment regarded him as a traitor to his class, and they'll never forgive him for that. Uh, so uh, what we are is we are looking at the limits, the downsides of globalization and multiculturalism, and we're proposing workable solutions, uh, we think. Uh, and, and to do that, we have to study uh, these things more closely. There are lots of interesting studies coming out about identity politics, populism, globalization, things like that, that I, I was inspired by. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to create this, because I started following all this academic literature that was coming out, some of it very interesting, and I wanted to know more. And finally, I got to the point where I thought, I just have to do the studies myself. And to do that, I needed the expertise of, of social scientists and pollsters. I needed an institutional framework to do it. And so I went about creating it. Um, and so uh, we've just launched, uh, I'm sure the political establishment, both left and right, is not going to be terribly receptive to what we're saying. Uh, but we are going to be out there uh, putting out facts, uh, and the facts are often very, very interesting and challenging. The reason why national populism took these people by surprise uh, and the reason why it's, it got them all in a panic is because they were simply not listening. They were not looking and they were not listening. They would create polls to manipulate the public mind, not polls to actually study what the people are thinking. And so these people were caught uh, unaware. Uh, Hillary Clinton believed the lying polls <laughs> that were being generated by her campaign and people adjacent to the campaign and was genuinely surprised when she, when she lost. Uh, that's because these people are so arrogant they don't listen. Uh, they want to dictate our opinions. Uh, they, they have these wonderful euphemisms like, we need a conversation about race. And the conversation about race consists uh, of them scolding people while people sit in silence. Uh, and so uh, we're going to be challenging a lot of these smug assumptions of the political establishment. Uh, chances are uh, some of them are not going to like it, but reality is knocking against their the shell that they've created around themselves. Uh, it's starting to make cracks. Uh, there, some people are starting to uh, be more serious about actually uh, knowing what's going on in the world. So they won't be, at least so they won't be taken by surprise again, like they were with Trump and Brexit and so forth. So we're, we're somewhat hopeful about this. But yeah, uh, rank partisanship, uh, and, and just the entire political establishment, when you get right down to it, are, are going to be turned against us, I imagine. But uh, as long as we keep everything objective and professional and rational, uh, we hope that our, our, a, a small rational voice of dissent can, can win out in the end. So that's, that's the assumption that we have going forward. I would no. just like to add in that uh, we're, we're – oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead, David. Go ahead, David. Go ahead, David. Yeah, so we're looking to provide an alternate perspective, and yes, we have our own political predilections, but for me, I'm kind of like, I just want to know facts, good or bad. And I think a lot of these facts are going to blindside the establishment. For example, 
we found that 7.2% of white Republicans said that an accusation of racism would make them more likely to vote for a political candidate. I think the left is going to be up in arms about this. At some point, yeah. they, they live yeah, in a the new poll where they can just yeah. squash this. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about the first poll. Um, one of the things that I've been uh, looking at for a long time is the craven – uh, cowardice, the, the immediate capitulation uh, that a lot of a mainstream people, both politicians, pundits, uh, corporations, things like that, have whenever the, the left points a finger and, and screams racist at them. And I, for years, we've been thinking, surely this, uh, this racism charge is being overused. Uh, how, how powerful is it? And what I decided I wanted to know is how powerful the charge racism is compared now to the charge of wokeness. Because when people charge others of racism, usually they're using the, the woke critical race theory definition of basically racism is what white people do to other people and it, whites can't be victims of racism, et cetera. So racism stands for wokeness, in, in other words. The racism charge is usually uh, you know, put forward in a woke spirit. And woke is now being uh, hurled as an accusation. And woke can cancel companies and careers now, as we saw with the Bud Light uh, fiasco. And so we just did a, uh, a poll on the relative strength of the accusations of racism and wokeness. And I was really hoping that wokeness would be even more devastating than racism. Uh, I didn't expect it. I was certainly hoping. I was hoping they'd be in a dead heat. But the results were, were interesting nonetheless. And, and David actually conducted the poll. So can you tell us a bit about the number of people and, and some of the basic uh, takeaways from this poll? Because I think it's very interesting. Yeah, so we polled with 796 random respondents. We had to fill, I can't go into detail, but we had to filter to make sure that these people actually match the demographics of white registered white registered voters. That meant conforming for different variables like age, education, et cetera, et cetera. I won't go into all the nuts and bolts, but we didn't just open up the floodgates and just let whoever answered answer because, you know, you need to make sure that the people you're asking actually reflect the national you know, electorate of white Republicans. I mean, not white Republicans, just white voters. We do have some breakout for party affiliation, which I'll get into later, but we want to make this actually accurate. Unlike the, I feel like the mainstream, they, they kind of do things sloppily on purpose, try to get the answer they would prefer. So no, we didn't get the answer that we wanted, but it's still a very interesting and good answer. So if you compare the percentages where it was about... So what, what, what a big, I'm going to start with the boycott thing first, because everyone, whenever a business is accused of racism, they cower in fear. We saw people try to put BLM stickers up to prevent themselves from being culturally enriched with a far but mostly peaceful protest during the summer of love of 2020. That, of course, <laughs> didn't work. So they cower in fear of all this. But here's the thing. of How many white consumers would actually boycott a business as accused of being racist? And actually do it. It's one thing to post on Instagram because that's easy. You get clout. We, we, we on the distance where I have an issue with people being addicted to online activism, which only goes so far. It's essential. It's good, but it only goes so far. 
well, how, who's going to actually, you know, go out in real life and make a difference? Right, hold on right there. David, I want you to hold on right there. We'll hang on that uh, edge and on that teaser until we come back with Greg Johnson and uh, David Zuddy from both Countercurrents and the Homeland Institute. Uh, I'm, I'm really interested in this, and I want to hear what these findings are, good, bad, or indifferent, and what you think that pretends, gentlemen. We'll get to it right after this. Your daily Liberty Newswire. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA News, I'm Corey Myers. GOP presidential candidates are disagreeing over a national abortion ban. During last night's debate, former Vice President Mike Pence said he'd push for a federal 15-week ban on abortion if elected. Former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley argued that. 70% of the American people support legislation but to 70% ban abortion of the after Senate a baby is capable not. of... House Republicans may soon be investigating the Georgia DA who launched a criminal probe against former President Donald Trump. CNN reporting the House Judiciary Committee expected to open a congressional investigation into Fulton County District Attorney Fawny Willis. It could happen as soon as today. The fate of the so-called Texas floating border wall now in the hands of a federal judge. A federal judge on Tuesday rejected the Texas argument that the buoy border in the Rio Grande was needed to repel an invasion and said partisan politics will not affect his final ruling. Texas Governor Greg Abbott has said he plans to take the fight to the Supreme Court. Wagner Group soldiers have issued a chilling warning after their leader died in a plane crash yesterday. Evgeny Prigozhin and nine others were killed when the mercenary leader's private jet crashed on a flight from Moscow to St. Petersburg. In a video on social media, three of his soldiers said, We are starting. Wait for us. The trial of the man accused of killing four Idaho college students is being delayed indefinitely. Yesterday, Brian Koberger waived his right to a speedy trial. His court date originally scheduled for October 2nd. However, his legal team said they were not prepared to present their case by that deadline. This is USA News. Can we make 10,000 thread count sheets? For lens limits, staying in the comfort zone is never an option. Maximum thread count we could possibly thread. An industrial seamstress would make their sweet dreams come true. I want it to feel like you're on a snowflake, on cotton candy, on marshmallows, on a cloud. Indeed can help them hire great people fast. I need Indeed. Indeed you do. We instantly connect you with quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash credit and get $75 towards your first sponsored job. Terms and conditions apply. At Bowles Builders, demand is through the roof. To keep up, this business needs a stronger foundation. Bowles Builders, this is Bow. This weekend? Yeah, we can do it. Indeed can help him hire the people he needs. I need Indeed. Indeed you do. When you sponsor a job, you immediately get your short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria. Visit Indeed.com slash credit and get $75 towards your first sponsored job. Terms and conditions apply.
Back with Greg and David. We're going to be learning a little bit more about uh, the Homeland Institute and some polls. Uh, you need polls to uh, develop your strategies and to better inform you. I, I think, and we're going to get uh, back to David in just one second about uh, this poll about will our people or uh, people presumably on our side, will they actually go through with the boycott? I, I think it's, I, I would imagine, now I'm just guessing here, these are guys that are actually getting into the nuts and bolts of polling science, but I would imagine you would probably find more people in agreement uh, to say that, yes, whites are becoming increasingly dispossessed or the Democrats and the media are synonymous and things like that, which is still good than you would them doing anything outside of their normal comfort zones. But we'll find out. But before we go back to David to get those results, Keith, you had a comment or a question? Well, if pollsters and their readers were actually objective, they would be very interested in what Homeland is doing because white people are still the majority of the population in America. That's not supposed to change until 2043. And if they really wanted to reach their base and please their base, they would be listening to you. I'm sure that all of the pollsters that we have now, polling is just – uh, one more device they use to dispossess us and try to keep us from having any influence whatsoever on public policy. Uh, you, you're going up against people like Vanguard and BlackRock who are trying to pressure companies into adopting the woke agenda, and if they don't, they've got hell to pay, supposedly. Uh, how do we counter that, gentlemen? I'd say by telling the truth, knowledge is power, and we are part of the culture war is information warfare. And they do basically use false information to gaslight people, to make them intimidated, to get, you know, spin these narratives that being accused of racism is the worst thing imaginable. But really, woke is actually becoming is almost as unpalatable as being accused as racist. The exact numbers we found is that. 29.1% said they would boycott a company if it was accused of being woke. And by boycott, we meant would, you, wow. would they drive an extra mile or pay 10% more? This is big because people can't. I want to see you. Oh, go ahead. You know, Keith just responded uh, to the I, poll. I, I, I just said I would. Count <laughs> me in. Keith, yeah, Keith. I, I, would, I would boycott him. Yeah, just responded to the poll. And these aren't, and it's, it's good that these aren't necessarily all, quote, our guys. These are normal people who are simply fed up with it. They've had a taste maybe of the Bud Light thing, and they're sick and tired of it, and they want to do something productive about it besides complain online or consume content. And they're willing to, more importantly, take a hit to themselves financially with their time and energy and actually do something. These are people who claimed, at least you know, in theory, that they'd be willing to do this in real life. I do need to, to put this into perspective. 41.8% of respondents said they would fall through the boycott of a company if it's accused of being racist. Before we say that sounds horrible, we need to just calmly put these numbers into perspective. The ones who would be, if you compare the ratio of those who would boycott a company that's accused of being well compared to those who would boycott a company accused of being racist, it's seven tenths. It's almost seven tenths. It's something like 69%. That means that we have 70% of the power of the left's economic cancel culture. This is huge because everyone says racism is this horrible thing that everyone cares before. It's a weapon of doom. Well, we have, quote, only seven-tenths of that power. That's still a huge amount of power. And two, part of the, re the, the thing here is that the accusation of racism includes anti-white racism. We didn't ask about this in the poll, but I looked elsewhere, and mm -hmm. a lot of people for Republicans or independents 
They believe that white people can be victims of racism, and they believe that it's actually rising or staying the same as of five years ago. So it's not theoretical, it's on the rise. They can be victims of racism too. So these are probably the civic nationalist, centrist, Republican types who decry racism, racism in any form, including maybe firing someone, I would assume that might encompass firing someone who says it's okay to be white, because that's anti-white racism. So the left definition of racism is power plus prejudice. Uh, we supposedly have power in the world of the ones who are censored, doxxed, um, harassed, lawfare. You know, they get affirmative action that simply doesn't hold up to reality, and all the silly academic studies they produce don't hold water. But, you know, this is good. We have so intense the power. This is a lot like nuclear war. So you prefer your enemy not to have nukes, right? Well, maybe that, that's not possible. You can't make them give up all their nukes. So you have to develop your own. You have to escalate. And will you ever have as many nukes or as good as nukes? Let's say if you had seven-tenths the number of nukes as the enemy had. That's enough to, to as a deterrent. That's enough to strike back. That's enough to make give them an immense pause about their actions. And, I, and also, a lot of companies, are they have very slim profit margins. So we don't need to have the, the same power as the left. We just need to have a substantial parity, something that's similar. We can easily knock out a business just like the left does. Like, and I think Gentlemen, Budweiser proves it and Target proves it as well. Well, we, you've certainly seen something this summer that we haven't seen before, and you, you just gave a couple of examples. Greg, are y'all seeing, I mean, we have cycled through a lot of different polls, and I'd like to take these pollsters at their word when it's obviously something that reinforces what we want to see. And I do believe that it rises to meet what I've seen anecdotally and through my comings and goings in, in, in this. But I, I trust y'all to give us just the facts, no matter what where they may land. Are you seeing, we see these these polls. Uh, that uh, when you're asking the Trump base, Republican white voters, a racially charged question, some of these polls are coming back 60, 70, 80 percent, sometimes even more, answering in a very similar way in which uh, th that we would answer. Are, are you finding that, Greg, in your work here? Well, uh, David, David's got the stuff, the data in front of him. Uh, I thought one question uh, or one data point uh, from the article was particularly interesting about uh, Republicans. You, we, we, we polled not just you know, white people in America, a representative sample of white people, but we could also break people out by Democrat, Independent, or Republican. Uh, and in terms of Republicans, uh, some of the results were, were pretty interesting. Uh, David, do you want to go through the, the salience of racism versus wokeness uh, for Republicans? I thought that was pretty fascinating. Yes, I do. So if you look at, for Republicans, the number who, it was almost twice as many said that a, an accusation of racism was more important to them than an accusation, that an accusation being woke, the, the number who would vote or less likely to vote for, vote for, a, Repu for a candidate if they're accused of being woke is almost double the number of those who, have, were, who said they were, they'd be less likely to vote for a candidate if they were accused of being racist. This is, of course, for Republicans. That's big because right now, a lot of the outrage on the left, it's all it's all smashed on the left wing of the political spectrum. There's some independents, there's some you know, principled Republicans, 
but really these votes that they, they, they clutched their pearls over, they tremble fear over, you were never going to get these at all. People who really, really get annoyed about racism and make a big fuss about it, they're, they're hardcore Democrats. Or, you know, you're going to be accused of being racist anyway, to some extent, because you simply didn't pander to blacks or give them a platinum plan. So, you know, at some point, you just have to bite the bullet and say you're, they're chasing dreams. They're, they're chasing a sliver of the 13 percent uh, black people who might vote for them. And that's silly because most voters are white. white whites disproportionately vote, just like how they're, this, the buying power in America is disproportionately white, so they should be pandering to us. Well, we have a lot of voting power. And so Republicans need to watch out because if they get accused of being woke, they'd be tanked. I think we saw this. This could help explain the terrible midterms in 2022, also how Trump, his numbers weren't as strong as they could have been in 2020. And it's because, you know, things like the platinum planet, it's about pandering to the left. And I think a lot of GOP candidates, they have these little worm tongue creatures who are sniveling rats. And like worm tongue and Lord of the Rings, they, they whisper lies into political candidates to make them weak and ineffective, despite how a culture war is coming upon them, whether they want it or not. And so they do stupid things. They think, well, I have to pander to black. We can win if we, this is the first time, it's always, this has never worked before. But each campaign, it seems like this will be the one where uh, a deluge of black voters will come okay. Republican. This is, uh, I, it, this never happened. tell me if, if I'm stabbing in the right direction here, because I, I'm wondering of all the things that we need to do and all the things that have to be done, uh, why put this emphasis on polling? But I think I think you're onto something here. Uh, the way I would imagine this being used, it's like voting. Now, a lot of people don't want to talk about voting. It's very boring to get involved in that. But it, like polling, these are keys. Well, here's the thing: if you can come back with solid polling that shows our issues are winning issues, then. I have said this at many stops on the program and behind podiums. Most people are just going to fall in line with whatever side is winning. And the, when the day comes where we can apply more leverage than our opponents, people are going to start falling in line, whether it be businesses, corporations, uh, politicians, etc. Are you uh, anticipating, gentlemen, and I hear the music playing, that we can use this polling data for the furtherance of our objectives by showing people that these are winning issues and you need to come on over and get on board with us? Just a quick yes or no answer, Greg. Is that, yeah, is that sort of... Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that, that's what we're doing this for, or at least one of the reasons. Uh, and I want to know more about it still. We're going to get the website. We're going to let you know how you can support the work of the Homeland Institute and, again, how this helps us accomplish our objectives. Why does the left lie constantly? Because they get spiritual power from lying. The lies come from Satan, the father of lies, John eight forty four. Here's how the political lying process works. Satan provides the beast with a lie. Then, the more they use the lie, the more they reproduce the lie. The more spiritual power they get. Now look, the media is a lie multiplier. And this multiplication gives more evil spiritual power to the beast. That power protects the cells of the beast from prosecution. Why isn't Hillary in prison? She is protected. We must restore our national relationship with God. Truth is sacred in the kingdom, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Isaiah 9, 6. A message from Christ Kingdom Ministries.
materialistic science states the universe and everything in it emerged from an unguided, chaotic expansion of space-time-matter energy labeled the Big Bang. But far from being the result of a chaotic Big Bang, the universe was initiated and put into ordered motion by the Creator. Thomas Jefferson, in the Declaration of Independence, attributed the laws of nature to the Creator, nature's God. Now, the Declaration of Wide Independence by Kyle McDermott sets the record straight from the inception of the laws of nature and of nature's God to the right of all the peoples of mankind to be self-governing within their own homelands. This book provides an ideology to utterly defeat the woke globalist communist tyrants. The Declaration of Wide Independence is a highly recommended addition to community, college, and university library philosophy collections and supplemental curriculum studies lists. Available at the Dixie Republic and Traveler's Rest, South Carolina, DixieRepublic.com, and at Barnes & Noble. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, important and interesting, groundbreaking work really here being done by Greg Johnson, who's always been such a stalwart for our cause. Countercurrents, really, as a webzine, uh, has no peer. Uh, there are others that are that are on the level. I don't think any are better. I, once you reach a certain level of uh, impact, I guess it's all relative. But uh, you know the usual suspects, folks. Greg's just right there in the center of that company. Uh, but now this uh, this is something different. And again, I think we were starting to drive the nail home here on why this is important, at least as I listened to, to both uh, you and David talk, Greg, uh, why I think it's important is that, I, listen, I mean, this is just a fact of the matter. I, I say this repeatedly, uh, repeatedly rather, uh, almost to the point of exhaustion, uh, perhaps too much, but I just... Obviously, most people are cowards. Most people are just going to conform to the trends and fashions of societies. You have very true, uh, very few true believers with inflexible beliefs, people like us and, and people in this audience and countercurrent readers, etc. cetera. Uh, but I, that's why I do think it's important. If you show that these are the winning issues, these are the issues you're going to have to adopt in order to advance, uh, whether it be politically or, or uh, your business bottom line. And if we can get reliable polls that show people that, perhaps that will encourage them to develop a backbone, Keith. Well, it's a way to win the culture war. Uh, for example, one thing that we didn't mention was Mike Lindell's uh, and Bed Bath & Beyond. His My Pillow company got dropped by my, uh, Bed Bath & Beyond because they weren't woke enough. And guess what? Bed Bath & Beyond doesn't exist anymore. They went into bankruptcy. Mike Lindell is thriving. So consequently, you know, there's gold in those hills for us. And if we can... Con convince companies that they really are going to suffer like Bud Light did, like Target has done, like Bed Bath & Beyond has done, uh, that has got to have some effect. Of course, we don't have the money of BlackRock and Vanguard. We can't uh, hold up uh, things like government uh, grants and stuff like that. I have the feeling that government grants are basically behind the electric car boom and things like this, but this is a very promising, I think, uh, development. And well, yeah, I mean, because, Keith, of course, you're seeing so-called conservative incorporated influencers like Charlie Kirk. This is another thing we've said. I mean, this guy is is saying the same thing Greg Johnson's saying now on a lot of things. And he was kicking people out of his own events for saying the things he's saying now. And that just goes to show that things are moving in our direction, and we need evidence to encourage more people to continue to move in that direction. And uh, so, again, Greg, the importance of this and further findings. And please give us the website. I want to go to it right now. 
Yeah, it's a homelandinstitute.org. Uh, the, the, the thing that I thought was really interesting for Republicans, and we, we just had a Republican debate where we had a bunch of uh, non-entities up there who've been <laughs> studying polls and listening to uh, uh, pollster, uh, pollsters and consultants and people manufacturing talking points, et cetera, uh, these people, uh, the, that's their lifeblood. Uh, the, the, that's, that's what they do. They're, they're looking for ways of, of getting any advantage, even the slimmest advantage. And political careers are lost and won uh, by fractions of percentages of voters. Uh, so actually, uh, a very small minorities uh, can make a difference uh, for, a, for a politician. Uh, and race-conscious whites are a minority, and we need to become a potent minority that they will pander to. Uh, and one of the ways that will happen is when they know just where we are and how many we are. So there, there is a, a, one of the polling results was very interesting. It was basically twice as many Republicans would look askance at a politician who used to be in rogue. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. Just the exact numbers, numbers, if you like them, is that 42.6% said they were less likely to vote for a politician accused of being racist compared to 79% who said they were less likely to vote for a politician accused of being woke. So, but that's almost what is that? Am I miscalculating this? Is that like a two to one in our favor type of thing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's and, like and twice as many, thing. right? Yeah, yeah. Almost twice as right. many. Yeah, and, and here's the thing. Uh, um, wh what that means is uh, that. Um, at a certain point, if Republicans start pandering to the left, pandering to minorities, uh, they will start sounding, quote unquote, woke. And as soon as they start sounding woke and somebody sticks that label on them, that could be the end of their career. Well, hey, Greg, they have I mean... to be more worried about wokeness than they have to be worried about uh, racism by a two-to-one margin now, and that's huge. That is huge. I mean, that is actually very encouraging, and I think you've even seen some more anecdotal evidence with this fake hillbilly that had the big uh, Richmond North of Richmond song, and as soon as he said something, uh, you know, I wrote this because I'm in favor of liberal democracy and diversity, and I mean, he's starting to get burned now. That's yeah. very good. Go, Keith. Well, what they really need to understand, particularly Republican candidates, is that the Republicans are also the white people's party, and if they want to win Republican primaries, they need to, quite frankly, start pandering to the interests of white people. Right. And, and, and how do you how do you right. factor in? I mean, it's it's shocking. We've been on the road the last couple of weeks, so we're catching up on some stuff. And we, we haven't even mentioned tonight uh, the the situation in Atlanta. I mean, they're not just arresting Trump now. They're arresting his attorneys and, and mug and doing giving them the perp walk and the mug shots and Giuliani and all of these people are just being arrested. I mean, how do you think the destabilization that we're inevitably going to go through over the course of the next year? I mean, God, no one knows what to expect next year. How do you think that's going to start to reflect in these As polls? As Bob Dylan said, the times they are changing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how do you think yeah. this further destabilization is going to have an effect on the polls judging white racial consciousness? And is it better to be woke or, you know, quote unquote racist? And, and, and again, anti-white racism could be something that they're responding to as well, because that's something that's catching on. But uh, gentlemen, we have about five yeah. minutes remaining and it's all yours. Well, Okay, let me let me just say this quickly. Um, we were we're going to do the same poll next time. Uh, we're going to do the same poll the same time next year. 
so it's a baseline, and it'll give us uh, an, an indication of how things have changed. I'm betting that after a year of out-of-control, hysterical, leftist wokeness uh, centered around Donald Trump and the campaign uh, for president, that people are going to be even more tired of hearing about racism and far, far um, angry about wokeness. That's my, my prediction, and we will see if that, that's borne out. Uh, the left has no brakes. It's pedal to the metal all the time. Uh, and you can't drive a car without brakes. You hit a wall. And I think these people are going to hit a wall uh, very soon. Uh, I just hate the fact that they're in, they're in, the, in the front seat and we're all along for the ride. Um, there is one uh, bit of data from this poll that I thought was really interesting. Uh, when we asked people if they were more likely, less likely, or it wouldn't make any difference to support a candidate, uh, if he's accused of racism, 7.2% uh, of Republicans said they would be more likely to support a candidate accused of racism. That's a fascinating number. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's something that we really need to get through to them. Yeah, now, yeah, I, exactly. exactly. Uh, yeah, we're going to do a follow-up yeah. study on this because one of the things we want to know is how many people are like this and how quickly they will sit out an election cycle if the pandering goes up to platinum plan levels like uh, Trump uh, was engaged in. Because, again, uh, we, we see this uh, platinum pandering, you know, uh, to get minuscule slivers of minority votes. Uh, and they don't pay any attention to, they don't even bother trying to figure out if they're going to be losing larger exactly but that's it i mean that. that was it greg i mean it's one thing if you keep all of your white base and you pick up a few hundred or a few thousand black voters but you're doing it at the expense of two or three however many the percent well, were of white votes and that, and that cost him everything well if if you hit the nail on the head you drive it straight and if you can bring this to them this is the surefire way to lose an election if you are intent upon losing an election do this that's, uh, yeah. you know, that's, that's when you make your pivot to power. When, when again, our issues become the winning issues. And the I, listen again, it doesn't matter to me if we win or lose. I'm going to stand on these issues and we're going to stand on these beliefs of ours. Um, but for the people, you're going to need more people than that. You're going to need people who are going to come along because it is the path to prosperity. That's just human nature. That's just the way it is. And, and we've seen these changes before. And I think we're going to see another one here. Uh, David, final word to you. Yeah, so this 7.2%, which is very intriguing, people who are more likely to vote for a politician who is accused of being racist, you can only vote once. So, you know, unless you're a Democrat, you can only vote once. But here's the thing. Campaigns are won and lost by volunteers. So they might, <laughs> you might only get one vote from these 7.2, but each of these people, how many, they're probably, I would assume, more likely to volunteer for a political campaign. Those are people who do door knocking, phone banking, ballot harvesting, which Charlie Kirk has said is essential to this upcoming election. He wants to basically copy and paste the left. How do you get that? You need probably young people, radicals, people like this magic 7.2% who will do that, who are ideologues. Well, 7.2% is more than half of 13%, which is the entire black population 
of America. So. <laughs> and, and, and believe me, people are radicalizing. So I think you're going to have people willing to go out and do this. I mean, this election, I watched a little bit of that debate last night. I don't want to hear about education. I want to hear about taxes. This election is about clearing one side off the board or the other. And, uh, and if it's not this election that's going to do it, it's going to be what comes after it. Greg, final word to you, my friend. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget, this is important and, again, groundbreaking work in so much as I don't know of any other organization. Amrin ran a poll, very interesting, a couple of years ago. But what Homeland Institute doing here is, is very unique. Homelandinstitute.org, homelandinstitute.org to learn more, to support. I've got a very sharp and smart website. I'm at it right now, as I said in the studio. Uh, Greg, final word to you. We need to be doing this because uh, right now, race conscious white people are just a specter that the establishment will uh, refer to. They use us as a stocking horse, they use us to scare people. They say, uh, you know, if you don't vote for us conservatives, you might be giving rise to white identity politics. Uh, that's the sort of official conservative line. Uh, they, they use people like us to scare people towards the middle. Uh, and one of the reasons they can do that is because they don't have a clear understanding of how many people like us are out there. Right. And once that becomes clear, then we become a force that they can literally reckon with. And that's the Greg goal of, of doing these studies. David Zuddy, gentlemen, look forward to seeing you again. Me. Look Hope forward I'll to talking to you Wish again. you all the best in the world. Absolutely. Homelandinstitute.org. Thanks for coming on tonight and uh, sharing with us an hour of information about this brand new endeavor uh, that... Um, again, I think can help us get a little further on down the road to accomplishing that which needs to be done. Greg, David, always good to talk to you. David, to make your acquaintance tonight. We'll do it again soon. For Keith Alexander, I'm James Edwards. Talk to you next week. Good night, everybody. You're listening to Resolution Radio, Radio, Radio. ResolutionRDO.com.